you to know that i don't know how well this is relationship is going to work out because i'm bringing some baggage into it um my past 10 relationships fell apart because we couldn't decide what to watch um and you know everyone has a weakness and i can just never decide what to watch when i'm in a relationship with someone and uh my therapist says that i should work on myself but i know this is the real reason i know the only reason is because we couldn't decide what to watch Denny, that's great, but we've been scrolling through Netflix for two hours. Can you please just pick something? I don't need all this backstory. Okay, I think I'm ready for Rescuers Down Under. No, but I've never seen The Rescuers, so not that. It can't be that. I'm sorry. I don't watch things out of order. Um, I'm panicking. I'm panicking. I'm mm -hmm. looking for the door. I'm looking for the door to this relationship. I'm just going to be on my phone. Apart again. I'm just going to uh, be refreshing Twitter till you pick something we both don't want to watch or okay. or let's or, just have a few defaults ready for movies we do want to watch we can't decide hope. there's hope there's hope there's options i knew love existed i wasn't totally about to bail on this forever and start a new life thanks for not being so shallow I'm not. um welcome everybody to movies for win uh this is our episode for when you and your partner can't decide what to watch, it's a common problem. Weekly, if not nightly, we are sitting there scrolling through Disney+, Plus, through Netflix, through Hulu, trying to figure out what to watch. Uh, lucky for you, Denny and I, and a special guest, are here first to guest. First guest. Ever. First guest friend of the show. We have three options for you. Uh, some of our personal go-tos for... When we can't decide what to watch with our partner. Uh, I'll go ahead and introduce our first guest of the show, Kate Hancock. Hello, hello. Hey, Hi, Kate. guys. Wow. I feel like a real a real stupid AM radio host now. I finally made it. We have a guest. We have a guest. <laughs> AM radio is superior, but uh, uh, we're, here, we're here with Kate. Kate, tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. Uh, this is going to be a collaboration episode where... Uh, we kind of wanted to uh, bring a little bit of exposure to the nonprofit organization that you help run. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, first off, I'm super honored to be your guest tonight and your first guest. And I didn't realize there was such a big bromance going on here. So Rad. <laughs> hoping I'm not interrupting. Only a but... little. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we run... A... Me and my spouse and a really good board and lots of great volunteers, we run the Ritzy Rescue Ranch. And we are a nonprofit that is focused on rescuing abused, neglected, and you know, just just you know, senior animals that need a second chance. So that's our whole kind of purpose is we are providing a second chance at a quality life for all animals. 
rock on. Where can we find you guys if we want to know more? Yeah, so currently we have a website. It's www.ritzyrescuerancher.org. And we are also on Instagram. And so you can find us there too, at Ritzy Rescue. Um, but yeah, we, we're doing great work, right? And we're going out and we're helping horses, cows. Uh, we've got goats, geese now, uh, ducks, chickens, dogs. I mean, literally almost any animal you name it, we have rescued them. Except for pigs. We have not gotten into the pig space yet, shockingly. Our jaws are on the floor. We hear... To come. We have a whole episode about pigs, so we're yeah. shocked to hear this. Oh, I'm going to have to watch this episode. It, Did you know... It is our only video one... episode. Yeah, go ahead, Denny. Sorry. <laughs> one out of one truffle pigs owned by a disgraced former Portland chef is stolen and never returned, and we're trying to raise awareness for that. It's the plot of a movie you probably haven't seen, Kate. Sorry. <laughs> If you haven't seen Pig starring Nicolas Cage, uh, we review it, so there you go. <laughs> it's well, literally... Something new. I, yeah. thought, I thought based on your pick, you you were hip to all of our inside jokes. <laughs> Let's get into why in a minute. <laughs> we have too much content. Yeah, as, as uh, certified animal lovers, Denny and I are really happy to bring you on and uh, talk about what you're doing. Uh, when mutual friend of the show, Joseph, told us about you and the organization, I hadn't, um, I, I decided to look you guys up on Instagram and I was kind of thinking like, okay, maybe it's going to be some cats and dogs, but it looks like a lot of livestock animals, a lot of senior animals, animals that need special care. And it looks like they have a huge facility, can live the rest of their lives out in a happy way that just, yeah, just just warms the heart man i really like it i i like what you guys are doing it's really cool and yeah what ooh. what's the cutest animal you have because i want to say it's your cows because cows are underrated adorable if you had to rate them who's the cutest oh, you are putting me on the spot but I, I feel like this isn't fair i love all of my animals right like each in their own way Mm -hmm. but I'm very impartial to cows like if we had more money and more land I would adopt every cow I have ever seen mm -hmm. they're so cute and they're so smart like that's the shocking thing I really didn't realize how smart they were so we have one cow and his name is Teddy he's a cute mm -hmm. little Jersey cow he's a soccer star he goes out he plays with balls right we have a little soccer ball for him and i'll be like hey ted let's go to bed he'll look at me he'll look at his ball he'll go play soccer right <laughs> that is his thing and then we have another cow named india and she is half holstein so like your dairy cow and then half angus and she opens gates like it is incredible she can open gates they go through these little obstacles i mean they are one of the smartest animals on our planet and it shows yeah. yeah i actually recently uh i stopped eating beef because somebody showed me vi like some videos about like how much of a relationship and a friendship you can have with cows because he asked me like what was my standard for animals that i eat and i was like well you know i had pet chickens and it made me more okay with eating them <laughs> i'm gonna be honest they were <laughs> i hated those chickens um i love my chickens <laughs> 
everyone does. I maybe I had a bad bunch. I don't know. Um, but uh, I was like, well, you shouldn't really. I don't know. You shouldn't need anything you can have a relationship with. And then my friend showed me uh, some videos about the relationships you you can have with cows and how smart and intelligent they are. And it affected me really powerfully. I was like, well, I, I, I had like a leftover steak in the fridge and I ate it and I was like, not nah, hate this now. <laughs> like, I was like, this is not the same anymore. Growth so. is possible. That's, that's really cool, Denny, that you can make that connection. And for a lot of people, there's different things that kind of brings you to that realization, you know, that animals are smart or, eating animals ruins the planet i mean there's so many things and for some people it's a slow process and so that's amazing yeah i mean you know chickens really worked against themselves but uh all it took was a couple a couple instagram videos of cows and i like again it's not even like a uh i'm doing this out of like a moral crusade or anything like that i was just like nah i just i just don't really feel right about this anymore you know like i just this just it's it feels weird you know like i don't know not saying anyone should do anything not trying to proselytize and also not saying i'll like never let beef touch my lips again or anything but i was just like man this is just it's just someone kind of spat in my soup as we say in therapy i was like it's it's kind of ruined for me personally you know because i made that connection that i was like oh it's pretty much just a big dog that you can drink out of yeah. <laughs> it's a dog that's so much smarter. Yeah. Well, and bigger. But yeah. Jenny, if you're ever in Utah, you come down and you cuddle and hug one Ooh. of our cows. It's well, the I, best therapy. I would love to. I actually, I have a friend uh, in Denton who works at a rescue. Um, it's called Ranch Hands Rescue. He's a therapist, and uh, they use uh, animals who have been abused to help people heal from PTSD. Um, and they have that cool, like we're healing each other relationship and I have PTSD and he brought me out there one day and just like, kind of just showed me what they do with the animals. And it was, it was fantastic. Like it was really cool. Honestly, just getting to spend some time in like a mutually healing relationship and just having that like connection. Uh, I really liked it. It's really cool. That's amazing. I love hearing that. Yeah. So what movie did you pick and why? <laughs> like, yeah, what was <laughs> transitioning what back? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I chose Rise of the Planet of the Apes, the 2011 version. And I chose it because it ties in to everything that we're okay. A lot of things. I would love to rescue apes, but obviously that's not happening. Hmm. But it ties into so much about animal, uh, you know, what animals go through, right? It talks about. Um, the horrors of animal testing and how animal testing doesn't always help humans, right? Um, so I thought that it kind of went into the whole rescue thing, helping animals, but then it also kind of goes into the pandemic, right? I mean, who would have watched a movie in 2011 and today we're dealing with like the same stuff. It's kind of like almost, not that we're at the end of the world, but we're going through a pandemic. They went through a pandemic. We're still going through the atrocities of animal testing, right? We're starting to learn more and more about how smart animals are. And then just the CGI was amazing. <laughs> Who would have guessed, right? That you could have CGI that looks so real. I mean, they had an amazing actor, right? Andy, I think it's Andy Circus. Circus, yeah, yeah. Circus. That's it. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's amazing. But I mean, 
you have a CGI character that you just fall in love with and you're so emotionally attached. It was, I kind of feel like to some extent it was a game changer in that, in that sense. Cause there was not an animal actually portraying this. Like back in the day, you'd have real animals. It was CGI. Rock yeah. on. There was a, a, a super weird 2001 planet of the apes movie. Of course, it's it's an old Charlton Heston film from I believe the '60s, and then they remade it in 2001. Tried to have like Ninja Turtle style uh, <laughs> animal suits. <laughs> it didn't really quite sell. And I think like the advancement of film technology, bringing uh, these animals into CGI, but our motion capture acted out by humans, like uh, an incredible body actor, like you said, like Andy Serkis, is it's just such an incredible way to bring these animals to life and bring some humanity to them that's hard to do either with real animals or with people in a crappy rubber suit like it's 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 really interesting to see i think it's incredible filmmaking technique and a great film in a trilogy that i really enjoyed mm -hmm. dope do you and your uh, partner watch this a lot kate we watched this several times. So this is the hard part in our relationship. He loves zombie movies and mm -hmm. scary movies. That's me. I, I hate both. <laughs> right? Like, I, nothing scary whatsoever. I like the comedies. You know, just something very lighthearted. But when it comes to fantasy or kind of, you know, the action pact, that's the only thing we can agree on. And so right here, this is like one of the best movies for both. Rock on. I'm excited to watch it. I've never seen it. Um, I think we have our three most eclectic pairings of movies this week. Uh, it's, it's super <laughs> random, but I even thought about it. I was like, I don't even know that these are generalizable as much as they are. They're not the movies that the audience should watch when them and their partners can't decide what to watch. It's just what the three of us go to when we can't decide what to watch with our partners. Yeah. So that's what um, made this such a hard episode to have picks for, because you could make it an, I wanted to approach it as like universal stuff that like, Hey, you and your spouse, partner, whoever, you guys could enjoy it together. But Denny and I just sort of landed on, let's just do the stuff that we like, like us, in our relationships, what are our preferred movies that both parties love and enjoy, no matter how many times we watch them? And I think it was really cool to bring in a third person that also had their personal pick. And I, I love that it's such a uniquely different movie than the two that Denny and I selected. That, yeah, it really brings the whole theme together. Yep. This is eclectic. It's going to be fun. Uh, do we have anything else before we uh, stop yapping Kate's ear off about movies? Or, <laughs> well, I wanted to get Kate's uh, rating of the film. Uh, we're we're going to go from here into the rest of the episode, so I I want to get your rating on the books for Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Gosh, seeing as this is my go-to movie, it's got to be a pretty high rating. Sure. I'm gonna go with eight or nine. Or nine out of ten. I like Good it. Praise. I'll, praise. I'll watch it and get back to you with mine. <laughs> oh yes. I'm. I'm curious. The only reason it's not a ten, right? It's a pretty good. It's a good movie, but you know, there's also better movies out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is still one of the top. We, one, we, one of my tops. 
we go from a standard of a 10 is something you can't define. You just know it in your heart. You know, like you just, <laughs> you either know it's a 10 out of 10 or it's not. And it doesn't matter how much you like it. doesn't matter how much you enjoyed it. You know, when it's as good as it could have possibly been for you. And you know, Hey, eight or nine is not an insult. That's a yeah. compliment, right? Like that's saying you love it. Right. Okay. I'm also impartial because anything that John Lithgow is in, is in my favorite. Right, I'm such a huge fan. I love him. Lithgow rocks. I loved him on 30 Rock. Oh, and... Yes, I just finished that series again. Yes, that's one of my favorite shows. <laughs> mm -hmm. You would get more, more of Greg's references than I do because I've only watched it one and a half times and didn't memorize every line. And I've <laughs> even seen though it, I love it. I've seen 30 <laughs> Rock maybe like six times, seven times Me all the too. way through. I like inject references into the episodes and Denny's just like, okay, moving on. And he didn't. <laughs> didn't pick up on it and yeah that's i've seen it and i love it i just miss them all the time because i didn't it's a lot of, it's a lot of content and i didn't memorize it like y'all did yes i'm still i'm still going back all the time it's back on netflix everybody please watch it Ooh, i did not know that that yeah. is huge that's a game changer mm -hmm. yeah i'd been watching it on amazon but <laughs> it was there the whole time Real quick, Kate, uh, we do have the other two selections uh, for this episode. Uh, Denny uh, selected Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and my pick for uh, my girlfriend and I, our go-to is The Nice Guys. Uh, I was wondering if you had seen those movies and just any general thoughts about those two? Yeah, okay. I, I'm embarrassed to admit I've never seen The Nice Guys. Not a lot of people have, and that's part of the problem, but yeah, no judgment. <laughs> But this is good because now I'm going to have to go watch it, right? Yeah, everyone will. <laughs> but forgetting Sarah Marshall, that one's just that one's just good. If it you like comedies, comedy. what's better than that, right? Uh -huh. Like it's it's top tier. That's some top shelf stuff right there. Yeah. Oh, I've watched that one so many times. So Same. I was very impressed with that pick. It's me and my wife, and it's just literally every time we can't decide what to watch, that one is just a no brainer. We're just like we always feel good when we watch it. We're always in the mood for it. Never gotten tired of it. We've probably watched it like 45 times or something hyperbolic like that. Wow. I don't think it's actually 45. <laughs> it's not like, <laughs> I, I would seriously wager we watch it about four times a year. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's a high number for a movie, you know? Good it's... for you guys, though. She clearly likes, likes to laugh and have fun. Yep. Boy, does she. The foundation of a good relationship. I love that movie, man. That's something when Denny and I met, we just kind of both found out. Like, I think I went over to your place and I saw the DVD. I was like, I love this movie. And you were like, I love it more. And we settled on both loving it equally. It's great. Want to be best friends forever? Yep. Yep. And now we have a podcast. <laughs> All right, Kate, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, you were awesome. Thank you for being the best guest so far ever yeah. best ever. guest ever this, ever. Yeah, this is great <laughs> solid 10 out of 10 guests um uh, oh, go wait, ahead Vanessa's and has been on this tons of times what are we talking about eh, you know, she's producer of the show she's it's a different. producer of the she's show. In, okay. she's employed kate's different <laughs> <laughs> um go ahead and uh hit us with the the links that we can follow we'll post links of course in the description for uh ritzy rescue ranch uh in the description on spotify and uh on our social media posts awesome 
Thank you guys again so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm going to start watching some more of the movies you guys are recommending. Yeah. I feel like I'm learning a lot. Awesome. We're glad. That's we, we want we want to teach the world. We aim to educate. <laughs> that you're doing. Uh, I've been really stressed lately. I needed that. Just decompress. You know what my favorite stress reliever is? Seamless edits. Lobbing that one over the plate for you. <laughs> Just alley-oop. Throw me a softball. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, our special thanks to Kate for joining us as our first guest of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like I said, we're going to post all the links to her organization in our descriptions and all over social media. So thanks again for her for being such a uh, great and accommodating guest. I yeah. think she fit. I think she fit right in. I mean, I think so because she really showed that she's a hardcore. She's not just here pushing some agenda. She knows that this podcast is all about the monkey movies. <laughs> <laughs> she knows that's what we're known for, and she really, really gave another one right to us. Whether there's monkeys or not, we're here to talk about it and call them monkeys. <laughs> I did not think we would be doing another monkey movie this soon. Didn't we? Well, we talked about. Um, the monkey named Jack in Pirates of the Caribbean. So it we wasn't really a monkey, monkey movie. <laughs> yeah, monkey this is this is a monkey movie. Well, this is a monkey movie with no monkeys. Uh, they cleared it right up in the title and in their dialogue multiple times that this is Planet of the Apes. They are they're not they're not experiencing a monkey gate. They they knew they were mm-hmm. they were on the right side of history on this one. Denny, do you not have your Nautilus tonight? Uh, we're recording on a separate night. Um. I am uh, I am on vacation. Yesterday was my birthday, so I took a, a few days off. So I got started early with my weekend punch. Nice. No, I'm drinking an old fashioned. Uh, first of all, to celebrate that we're transitioning into fall, because I drink uh, gin in the summer, in the spring, and whiskey in the fall, in the winter. Um, but also because in our last episode, I uh, I learned that I actually had to pay for that Nautilus twice. Once when I bought it. And once the morning after, I drank three of them in our last episode. Oh. <laughs> so I, uh, I needed to dial back on the on the Nautiluses. I might have uh, dove a little too close to the giant squid. A few too many leagues under the sea you went. <laughs> yeah, I had, a, I had a little bit of a hangover ski last time, and that was not my intent. I don't like I don't roll that way anymore. <laughs> I'm an old man. Hey, me too, because, like I said, birthday. But yeah, I've got my weekend punch, uh, the recipe of which is ice, rum, and fruit punch. But the key ingredient to weekend punch is the largest drinking container that you own. That's the key ingredient to a weekend punch. Well, I guess I have to throw away my Sonic the Hedgehog beer stein that I've been saving for special occasions uh, because I don't think I can drink weekend punch that uh, hefty. I'll have to bring it back to the Nautilus. Every weekend is a special occasion. Um, (laughs) Boy, is it. Are we going to talk about movies now or what? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I love talking about drinks with you. Me too, buddy. We'll get on Um, that. We we should do a pairs well with episode, you know, like, yeah, yeah, that could be great. Uh, um, cinema sommeliers, if I may. Cinema has, has someone already done that? Because if they uh, haven't, that's brilliant, and we should do it. Uh, it's copyright. It's trademarked. Uh, you can't take it. It's ours. I came up with it. Dibs. 
Dibs. dibs. <laughs> also dibs. Dib, dibs will hold up in court. <laughs> More than trademarks. Uh, yeah. Hey, IP by the wise. way, yeah. that one seltzer company that we're trying to get to sponsor us, um, we just want to say up front, you can buy this episode. We will just say every movie we watch pairs well with your seltzer. And that'll be our recommendation. That's right. Oh, man. I will I will shill. Oh, man. This ain't this ain't brink. This is this is reality, baby. We want to get paid to do something fun. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> We're willing to uh, be sellouts, honestly. Uh, well, we already intro the three movies. Uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes was Kate's pick. Uh, my pick was The Nice Guys, and Denny's pick was Forgetting Sarah Marshall. These are all the movies for when you and your partner can't decide what to watch asterisk this is probably not generalizable this is just what the three of us watch with our partners when we can't figure out what to watch yeah exactly so hopefully yeah this is like a huge uh there's like such a big difference between all three of these movies there's no correlation outside of personally the three people that picked them yeah like them for this specific scenario Without a doubt, the most eclectic episode we have done. This is just all over the place. If anything, this should be a challenge to you, listener, to come up with your own movie. What's your default? What's your go-to? If you're not in a relationship, I'm sorry, we can't solve all of your problems. (laughs) This is... That got me. (laughs) I noticed. (laughs) We don't like people that aren't 90s kids, and we don't like single people. We don't want your business. <laughs> Just kidding. Single people, keep listening to our podcast. We we used to be single people, and now keep, we're not. Keep these movies in your tool belt for the future. Yeah. Uh, if you don't get laid because of Rise of the Planet of the Apes, call Kate at Ritzy Rescue and blame her. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. This is our get laid guarantee. Dude. <laughs> it sure is. Um, where to go from there? Uh, How about we summarize Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Um, I don't know if it was part of the actual recording. I gotta listen back. But I think during our interview, I said that this was the second movie in the most recent Planet of the Apes trilogy. It's not. It's the first. I got the titles confused between Rise and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Those are both beginning titles, by the way. Yeah, exactly. That's why I was tripped up. And also, Dark Knight Rises was the third movie, so that could have thrown anyone, honestly. (sighs) Yeah. It's like the uh, it, you just you just got to come up with a consistent naming scheme. Uh, the titles were the only things that weren't planned out for this trilogy uh, extremely well, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's summarize. Uh, Frames Janko is a scientist of sorts trying to find the cure for Alzheimer's. He is doing research and he's using chimps as a um, method of testing new drugs experimental methods to try to cure uh, alzheimer's that personally affects him because his father played by john lithgow is afflicted with this terrible disease that terrifies me and makes me afraid to get old um some 
extreme effects to the drug start to take place, and in the next iteration of the drug, those extremes become a little bit more pronounced. Um, humanity has created a drug that they don't really realize what they have, and who oh boy, messes with humans differently than it messes with apes, and we get three movies out of it. Denny, uh, had you you said you hadn't seen this movie before? Nope. This was I've never seen any Planet of the Apes movies ever. Uh, I've definitely wanted to for a while, um, and this was kind of the excuse to get started on that. So yeah, it's a franchise. Other than like knowing the damn dirty apes quote and mm -hmm. knowing that my dad liked the really old one and said it was good and had a really scary mask that looked like it in my childhood game room. That's um, right. Yeah, no, this is my first encounter uh, first encounter with the Planet of the Apes franchise. Yeah, I, it's, it's low-key a pretty good trilogy. So you obviously haven't watched the next two. Uh, I would encourage you to do so. It's, it's actually pretty solid. It's like none of these movies are, like, excellent, but, like, the three of them together are kind of on the same level, like 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 kind of good and extremely watchable um i think it's a pretty solid trilogy and if you liked this one at all you're gonna like the next two for sure which uh which one is gary oldman in uh this ooh, second? <clears throat> i don't yeah, know I, I believe it's the second one dawn of the, I, of the apes i just remember seeing an interview with him at the time where he was basically like i'm gonna be straight up honest we were just trying to make money and make some dumb bullshit movie but it actually turned out really good um and i was like <laughs> you sold me man like thank you for the honest review he was like no i'm really surprised at how good this is like we were just trying to like <laughs> just get rich man <laughs> call me gary soldman because it worked on me too um i i had seen this one in theaters and that was the last time i seen i think i actually watched it with Joseph, friend of the show, Joseph Kainrad? I think. I watched it with somebody in, in 2011. I'm sure we'll find out in the group chat soon. We're, we're lighting the Joseph beacon right now. Yeah. Uh, when you're listening to this, we need to the, know. The Did spotlight you see this is with across Greg? The, <laughs> <laughs> the spotlight is illuminating the skyline of Movies for Winsville. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it since it came out in theaters, and I actually liked it a lot more. Uh, on this viewing, especially after our conversation with Kate. Um, do you want to just dive into it? Sure, why not? Let's go. Uh, uh, so what what was your first impression seeing this movie for the first time? Um, well, <laughs> I think that you could take the first act and splice it with the second and third act of MVP, and it would still make sense. <laughs> it might make more sense, was my first impression. Um, no, it was, it was interesting to me how, like, seriously it was taking itself, because I was like, this is presented through an entirely different lens, but this could have been the, like, premise for, like, any 90s hokey monkey movie. You know, like it, but mm -hmm. like instead of like uh, forming an ape battalion, uh, Caesar would have just like gone to a hotel or learned how to surf or something. Dude, <laughs> an entire <laughs> uh, chimp based hockey team in the silverback plays goalie. <laughs> that would be so cool. If Raising just... the Stanley Cup with their feet. Like, <laughs> talk about subverting expectations if the chimp colony just like. <laughs> went on to like play organized sports or like 
just like go to college or something. <laughs> uh, if only. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, there's source material that's way more serious. Yeah. League of League of the Apes is not a uh, thing, unfortunately. Yeah. But it will be soon. And we call dibs on the royalties. Hollywood screenwriters pay us. That's right. We want a created by Denny and Greg credit. Yeah, that's right. That's created right. by motherfuckers. Um, yeah, I'll be honest. I actually didn't really love this movie. Okay. Um, I didn't hate it. Um, it was very middle of the road for me. Um, I just, I, you know, I just, it was something that I felt like they could have done a whole lot more with. Um, I really, really love James Franco, but I felt like he was very miscast in this movie. Um, he was just like a little too cute, a little too everyman to play the scientist. And I thought a lot of his dialogue came across really stilted. Uh, I don't really think it was a role that, uh, showed off his strengths. I don't think you needed James Franco for this role. I think he's, um, he's just more fit for other stuff, man. Um, Mm -hmm. the 2011 CGI was not really great to me. Um, and I guess I just like... I didn't, I didn't buy into the stakes. I think at the end of the day, um, I thought they did a lot right. Um, I thought that, like, the character development of Caesar was really great. I thought uh, a lot of nonverbal storytelling, which is really not what you expect for a, uh, a big-budget action franchise type of movie like this. And the climax of the movie is all, like visually driven like pretty much no one's talking for like Mm -hmm. the last 20 minutes which i thought was really cool um and there was just something about it that just didn't hook me into it uh i've said before that i really don't like when a character is cgi because it just constantly breaks my immersion and makes it harder to suspend my disbelief because my brain is always being reminded that what i'm seeing is not real and I shouldn't care. And I just, I don't know. Like, I didn't, like, hate it. I didn't have, like, I'm not going to roast it, you know? But it just, it didn't pull me in. <laughs> it didn't it didn't give me the hype. That's how I felt the first uh, the first time I watched it. I thought I was, I was pretty low on it. I, I, I looked at my Critiker score when I ranked it after I saw it. And I had it exactly a 20 out of 40, which is exactly 50%. Yeah. Um, I raised it a lot after watching this. I think... Uh, what kind of changed my perspective is having seen the whole trilogy, how well this sets up the whole trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think <laughs> part of it might just be like I've seen stuff like the most recent Star Wars trilogy that we don't talk about. Yeah. Uh, and just seeing like how a poorly planned series of movies can just completely screw up. And it's just like, well, the first one is good. The rest... The rest of them just didn't know what the hell they were going for. Yeah. This was like, this example, or this example, this trilogy is a great example of um, a trilogy that's very well planned out. And I think it started well with this movie. So like kind of looking back on the first one, I'm like, oh, this is actually a lot more interesting for me now having seen it. And also kind of the themes presented, especially after our conversation with Kate, I I was very... Uh, I was not very, I was much more impacted by the implications of 
animal testing mm-hmm. and animal abuse uh, after our talk with her and yeah i was surprised how much more i liked it after this viewing despite it being like like you were saying cg and all cgi character is tough even when like we said andy circus did a great job yeah oh definitely. performing it yeah he did an excellent job performing it but then like it's not like Gollum where you just create like an almost human kind of creature. Yeah. You have to add, once you start adding fur and everything, those kind of characters, when you CGI them, become much more difficult yeah. to make look realistic with like the fur and everything. Like it just takes so much more to do that. Well, and like with Smeagol, you could play around with his eyes and make him really big you could give him a very emotive face you know like give you all of these like uh mere neuron moments where we recognize that this was a hyper realistic chimpanzee and so mm-hmm. there's only so with much pants. with pants i love that he wore clothes there's only <laughs> so much uh so much range of emotion you can do with that you know and you can't really play around with it and you know accentuate some features it's kind of a problem lion king had too um the the live action one yeah 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 because that sucked that was way worse than this and it was eight years later yeah not not even not even close yeah oh god i haven't even seen it i saw the trailer and was like jesus i don't want to watch this (laughs) i watched it drunk and i wished i was more drunk that movie sucks this this movie did a better job with uh emotive animals and like displaying actual character through animals that are all cgi than a movie that came out two years ago oh most definitely that's crazy and also the animals talked in that other movie and they did it in this you know like they, they had a handicap right like they were playing playing with an advantage in the lion king yeah exactly it, oh, it just it just dropped the ball we're not here to talk about that movie yeah forget that forget that well i think creatively rise of the planet of the apes backed itself into a corner and i think this is ultimately why it didn't work for me because spoilers are in the title right like we well, know, we know we know where all this is going obviously mm-hmm. and how else could you possibly do it but also we take a long time getting there you know when i'm like we get it like something's gonna go wrong the smart ape is gonna break free and they're gonna begin taking over the planet um and so to me, I'm like, I'm not even like mad about it because I'm like, what what do you do, right? Like, what do you do when you know where this is headed? And I don't think they gave me enough to care about in terms of how does this happen. I I, I just never really got invested in that. Um, I think it's the the human drama wasn't quite there for me. Again, no disrespect to Mr. Franco, but I just I don't think this was the role for him and yeah the the how didn't keep me gripped you know like i i was kind of like okay i think we know where this is going like the whole time and it's kind of your only option when you're writing a prequel called rise of the planet of the apes you know that there's going to be eventually a planet of the apes and this is the rise of it right this is where it begins so yeah it's kind of hard to create a film that's like oh i wonder what's gonna happen like like the solo movie in the (laughs) uh in the trailer where like chewbacca is like hanging off a train and you're just like oh man i hope this chewy character makes it like we know they're gonna be fine but you still got to create this tension of like but like could it go wrong in some way and i 
And so the answer is maybe don't do that. (laughs) Like, don't put (laughs) Chewbacca in peril if we know he's not going to die. Make the stakes believable, right? Well, this one's a little different because it's kind of the inverse of that, right? Like, we know that humanity is going to fall, which I think is a little bit cooler because it's just like, oh, we know it's going to be all right in the end. Like, these bad guys are going to uh, be... We're going to overcome that. We're going to get through any obstacle or challenge. We know our heroes are going to be okay. But in this series, like, we've got old Charlton Heston movies. We've got a shitty 2000 movie where we know the apes take over the planet. Doom is <laughs> coming right. for all of humanity. Right. Yeah. How do we get there? Which I think it's a different kind of tension. It's like it's just sort of like a dread of like man, this is this is going to end up poorly for every person in this movie. And for me, I'm not really rooting for humans to win. We're not really given a lot of yeah uh like super great people in this movie like and again you talked about james franco maybe a little miscast i'll i'll agree with you there uh his girlfriend dr lips um is also not you know super uh easy to engage with i mean i don't think any of the characters really had much meat on the bone you know like and i think that's the thing is like they did a really good job of developing Caesar, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he had complexity to him. Um, <clears throat> and I guess, like, if there was one thing I was invested in, it was kind of just, like, figuring out, like, how smart is he? You know, like, what what are yeah. his capabilities? And they've got some really cool reveals with that. But I think the human characters, man, they're all just kind of one note, pretty flat, nothing to really care about either way. Like, I just I couldn't really get into any of them. I will say, though, like, John Lithgow's character, despite also being as one-note as all the other human characters, mm-hmm. was a lot more engaging than most of them. Oh, yeah, no, because That's because he did, can carry, yeah. He did a great job with it, and I, I, think he, I think he had a lot more to work with, even though, again, like, his character is basically, you have Alzheimer's, very, very disease of the week, you know, like, even... Ugh. Uh, I don't want to say exploitative, but it could have been. If you know, like, but it, it's an easy thing to write. Yeah, for sure. But I, I think I think as an actor, he had more to work with than anybody in the movie, except for maybe Andy Serkis. You know, like he mm-hmm. he had something to emote about some some conflict to display. Um, everyone else, I just was like, why why do I care about them? Why do I want to spend two hours with them? The, this movie could have used the guy from Adaptation who gave the screenwriting seminar because he was in this movie. Who was and he I, in this movie? Uh, the guy that was in charge of like the uh, chimp habitat. No way. Yeah, that was him. Uh, no I still way. have him in. I have him in my notes still as guy from Born Identity. He's back. <laughs> Man, <clears throat> I will. I will learn his name eventually. But yeah, he was. He was in charge of the. Uh, the chimp habitat uh, with his son Draco Malfoy. Yeah, it was weird seeing Malfoy in that scene, man, or in those scenes as that character. It's always trippy when someone you really associate with an accent is pretty convincingly doing an American one. Yeah, like I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> it's, it's, that's Malfoy, the baddie from Harry Why Potter. Why is he talking all weird? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean like us? Yeah, I guess yeah. so. 
do you want to know the moment in the movie they got the biggest emotional reaction out of me hit me when caesar just burst out of the bush and starts donkey kong ground pounding <laughs> that one dude the neighbor <laughs> yeah he just starts doing donkey kong's down b <laughs> it was fucking amazing <laughs> just like explodes out of the bushes it just starts <laughs> it was so cool i popped huge for that i was, was wild awesome. about it <sighs> man man draco malfoy too dumb to use the electric end of his cattle prod <laughs> instead using it like a police baton i was uh i was surprised that they gave him the damn dirty apes line me too they let him say the I, thing i I, to- I totally forgot that they that they had it in this movie and, he, and then he said it i was like oh yeah that was cool it was wow, a cool little moment but i was kind of surprised yeah. they gave it to that character <laughs> it did however fit in the story he was someone who definitely would say that out of the people in the mix uh mm-hmm. i think you could have given it to like the super capitalism guy that was james Franco's oh jacobs boss. yeah jacobs yeah yeah i think he could have mm-hmm. said it but yeah it was, it was it was it was a nice little uh do the catchphrase moment jacobs was one of the spoilers Jacobs was one of many people that died immediately after calling them monkeys. <laughs> a few people made that mistake and then died in the same scene. Greg, this does not bode well for us. <laughs> Caesar, please. Dude, let's make sure no one at the zoo listens to this podcast because they're going to fucking come for us. <laughs> it's right. <laughs> if you're a zookeeper um please make sure your headphones are not left unattended near the uh the ape exhibits uh Dude. they're very intelligent and they might take them and listen to them and i just i've seen i think they're capable of doxing us it's all i'm saying <laughs> greg scared bad gorilla it's a, it's Dude, a, it's a congo reference because <laughs> greg just did some ape signing uh I did one hand, just like the movie Congo. <laughs> Frickin' Amy's, Congo. Amy scared. Frickin' Congo. Um, I the scene where uh, where Caesar is signing to the circus orangutan. I thought that was nice. I thought it was so fucking dumb. What? <laughs> they become friends for like the other two movies. They're in. They're like. They're, they're like best friends in the rest of this, the trilogy. I like Why their, did you think that was dumb? Well, I thought it was dumb because they subtitled it. Um, I think I could have just like gotten the message with them signing. Um, it reminded me of two things. It reminded me of when they subtitled the Pokemon uh, when they were away from Ash on one episode. Um, <sighs> it also reminded me of the Star Wars Holiday Special where they have like... 20 minutes of uninterrupted unsubtitled Wookiees talking to each other <laughs> just going back and that's forth. what we would have had if we didn't subtitle it well, it was quick and I, I liked <laughs> I did like their bond and I, I liked the I liked the circus orangutan character he's um, great but it was just so fucking hokey in a movie that like otherwise took itself pretty seriously it felt really out of place to me well you know, it's it's part of this whole thing, right? Like, the only communication that we can teach these damn dirty apes is sign language, right? So, like, two, 
two of these creatures, we're like showing their elevated intelligence by having them communicate in the method of communication that we taught to them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I That's just, interesting. I don't think it needed subtitles. Yeah. I don't know. Sign language. Yeah, but could you have gotten the message that they're like nope. becoming friends? Yeah, but they had to say like certain things. Like what? All, all movies should just be silent films, Denny. Oh my god, this is a logical fallacy. I am going to, <laughs> going to take what you're saying and spin it yeah, way out of control. Say, this is hyperbolic. You're, you're playing yeah. it to the extreme. I'm pushing buttons. I'm not being serious. Don't worry. Sack of shit. Um, yeah, that's right. I just thought it, it, made, it made me laugh. It hit me wrong. I was like, okay. okay. Well, it, it's a 45 second scene that we're over here bickering There's about. There's two. Mm-hmm. One of them, like the orangutan, does a bit. Apes stupid. Oh yeah, apes together strong. Sometimes apes stupid. I'm I, waving my hands around for those of you that can't see. <laughs> that's everyone except me. <laughs> <laughs> also, I yeah. uh, I thought the assimilation scene was a real reverse Forrest Gump, which you don't get to see very often. Um, Caesar comes into the habitat wearing clothes and they all hate him because he's smarter than them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he doesn't fit in. It was very <laughs> you can't sit here vibes, but for the opposite reasons. Very cool. <laughs> Just a special moment that stuck out to me. Yeah, but can you fight, bro? Do you even <laughs> lift? You can wear a shirt, but can you squat, bro? <laughs> Again, like, if I didn't know this was the start of a trilogy about apes taking over Earth, I would, like, at the midpoint of the movie, I would have still expected it to be a heartwarming tale about Caesar becoming popular. <laughs> That's, if, if you didn't go in with that knowledge, you've got all these fun scenes in the house, and you've got all this meet-cute with James Franco, and uh, I don't know the actress or her character name. I called her Dr. Lips because she's a doctor, and her main characteristic is her lips, I think. I guess. Um, why not Dr. Labcoat, chauvinist? <laughs> there's a lot of doctors that wore lab coats in this movie denny i had to differentiate okay since we don't know her name let's just call her doctor who um <laughs> okay <laughs> um yeah no but like they have like again if you didn't know where the movie was going this seems like a very 90s monkey movie with a slightly different tone and it just would have seemed like the main point of it all was for him to finally become the coolest ape in the sanctuary. Yeah, instead of the uh, chimp helping the kid become the most popular kid in high school, the chimp has to become the most popular kid in high school. <laughs> That's what we call a deus ex monkey-na, when you just That's give right. someone a monkey to solve their problems. <laughs> <laughs> but boy, did that not work for this movie. You gave someone a monkey to create problems for all of humanity. Well, create problems you mean eliminate all of humanity <laughs> it, it's partially their fault partially humans for releasing this experimental drug and not properly testing it which by the way there's a lot of weird stuff with this jacobs character like he is he's very by the book like no we need to do more testing he's very like follow the protocol I want to see slow, steady progress kind of guy. He seems to be more in tune with, like, the scientific method of, like, proving life-changing medicine. And then he flips a switch as soon as Frames Janko says, 
Uh, not only did it kind of cure my dad's Alzheimer's, but uh, it seems like he got a lot smarter, too. And he was like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. Smarter? And then they became, like, the opposite characters where we need to do more testing. No, 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 we need to wait. Like, they, they switched roles, and it was kind of it was kind of confusing. Yeah, I, I thought the whole thing was sloppy. <laughs> like, in, in that <laughs> sense. Like... It, my, my favorite... Um, my favorite uh, example of that is when uh, Koba, the monkey who shows up in the sequels, he's important. The one with like the whited out eye. Yeah. He he wrote on that little touch screen Jacobs, mm-hmm. and Jacobs was so enamored with the fact that he, the the uh, the chimp was writing his name that he didn't see that Koba had drawn little angry faces on the bananas <laughs> on the screen too. <laughs> self-absorbed jacobs couldn't see the signs right in front of his eyes i don't know if you saw those but i didn't i saw them this time i was like i I did not notice them and that's why i'm laughing so hard because (laughs) that might have been around the time that i realized prisoners of the ghost world was playing uh, at alamo draft house this weekend and immediately started all caps texting you about it so it definitely uh definitely pulled me out of the moment for a little bit because i got really distracted no that's more important don't worry (laughs) i I remember him writing jacobs though yeah uh yeah what else do you have on the movie denny yeah just some dumb stuff i think i've kind of said what i needed to say anything from you um not especially like uh my my one last point kind of the Tying back into just the theme of the movie, I thought it was an interesting... This is maybe me reading into it, but, like, the idea that it really made me think of, like, the only advantage that humanity have has over the animal kingdom is our intelligence. And yeah. this, is, this is a really interesting look at once that advantage is maybe not eliminated, but, like, somewhat, like, we get some sect of the animal kingdom like at least somewhat caught up to human intelligence what's the danger of that like how how does that shake out if our main advantage over animals suddenly goes away how does nature respond and we'll find out yeah not not in our favor (laughs) look at your fingernails look at your teeth do you think you can like hang with a tiger (laughs) in <laughs> hand-to-hand combat no if tools, he's smarter no than if the tiger knows how to work a gun i'm pretty screwed yeah. <laughs> in lots of ways yeah. i know how to work a gun well you know what else helps us a lot i do not how to work senses. a tiger sorry go ahead <laughs> sorry. i don't want to i don't want you to learn how to work a tiger greg it's it's, <laughs> it's very sexual um hell yeah but uh yeah i mean like what else helps us is like our fucking oversized adrenal glands that we don't really need. Those really helped us dominate the world. <laughs> like, that's... It's our misplaced aggression. <laughs> like, you know, if we catch dolphins and elephants up, they might start teaching us. Well, now now that same um, effect is now used for me panicking to say that some food order is wrong to the waiter. <laughs> that's That's where that gets maximized for me. <laughs> We live comfortable lives. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. 
Um, well, let's let's introduce I, our. Oh, sorry, go ahead. For first of all, I never complain about anything. I will never say anything. <laughs> I was gonna say that doesn't really sound like you, man. <laughs> I, I've never I've never complained to anybody at a restaurant, and I don't plan to. Fair enough. I I'm very polite at restaurants. If they get something wrong, I'll usually say something, but in a very kind and understanding way because it's like a I heard. I really took this to heart. I heard Bo Burnham say it on a podcast where he was like, anytime a waiter is nice to me, I want to be like, thank you for the show, but I assure you it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Like you can just not be nice to me and I'll still tip you and just like save it for people who are going to like withhold money from you. Save that energy. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to do that for me, but thank you for the show. I've, I've worked in fast food and retail, so I am, I understand how to be the least complicated customer and that is my goal is to be absolutely just like <laughs> somebody that they don't even remember serving or helping look at you greg using that empathy using that perspective taking and that's why the elephant dolphin eight people are going to spare you that's right you'll have value to them i'll be neither seen nor heard you'll be enlightened Denny, what's our gimmick this week? We've got a good one, I think. This was your idea. I, I was I was pretty happy with this one because it was hard to tie these together for a theme. Uh, our gimmick of the week is, in line with the show's theme, your favorite moment of compromise in the movie. Um, because when you and your partner can't decide what to watch, these are usually your compromise movies, and compromise is important in relationships. Greg, what was your mm -hmm. favorite moment of comp compromise in this movie? My favorite moment of compromise is apes together strong. They're compromising their animal instincts to uh, display their strengths to determine an alpha to actually uh, unite together and take over San Francisco and the world. So favorite moment of compromise. Uh, all the chimps coming together to uh, <laughs> kill us. <laughs> nice. They deserve it. We don't deserve to live. We are the cancer on Mother Earth's face. Um, mine was, uh, when James Franco did one test without any study on after effects and Jacob's agreeing to go through with the board presentation for him. Um, they really compromised well on that and immediately found out the after effects. Um, honorable mention to monkey wearing people clothes. That was a good compromise of his dual nature. Very nice. Um, <laughs> Greg, my, sorry, go ahead. My, my first note is about, it's like... Hey, it, I've been working on this for five and a half years, but I got some somewhat conclusive results over here. So let's just fucking go ahead with this. The data is there. Like that's all. Like, <laughs> the data's clear, right? That's what the data's clear. Like justification. You're not even done. Like rushing into that shit. It's not even done printing out. What do you mean the data's clear? <laughs> You literally just saw an ape stack some things one time, like complete the Shrine of the Silver Monkey, um, which no human can apparently do. Um, and that's all it took for you to be like, by God, it works. I've done it. <laughs> what uh, What was your favorite line, Greg? Oh, man. If, if um, I'll make a bet with you. If it's the same as your favorite line, you owe me $5, okay? I have two favorite lines in mind and I haven't decided yet, so this is a safe bet for me. But it's this one. It's when the uh, chip handler tells James Franco, he's not a monkey, he's an ape. 
Uh, I owe you $5 because it was between that and you're the chimp handler. Handle it. <laughs> I, uh, I think it's... He's not a monkey. He's an ape. We... I, I popped for that because of our podcast. That's exactly what I was like. Oh, oh, oh! All right, Greg. That's I'll, our thing! Uh, I'll buy you a beer on Saturday. Oh, hell yeah. Not just because it's my birthday party. I'll buy you two beers. My parents are going to be there. I'll buy you a beer and a, and a Dr. Pepper. I'll pretend the other beer is Dr. Pepper. All right, so... <laughs> Denny, what's your Critiker score? I'm giving this one a 33, and... Uh, Okay. I'm, you know, a 30 is a passing grade for me, so that's not an insult. Uh, I'm willing to, uh, willing to say maybe I lack perspective on the rest of the series. You know, like this, it sounds like that was your experience. Uh, as a standalone movie, knowing nothing else about where it's going, I'd give it a 33. I thought it was perfectly fine. Uh, nothing really special. I thought they did some neat things here and there that I liked, and didn't really hook me for more movies but apparently they're pretty good so i'll probably check them out anyway hell yeah man very nice um uh, i gave it actually a little bit lower than you i gave it a 29 out of 40 uh just above a 7 out of 10 uh like i said i have it i used to have it at a exact 50 percent mm -hmm. uh i upped it quite a bit for this one um not only because i'd seen the other two movies and kind of had a little bit more context i feel like <laughs> excuse me Bless you. There's always a second one. Pardon me. <laughs> um, my approach to this one was, I don't know, I just had a different mindset going into it, and I was like, man, as somebody that cared more about... <laughs> Shit, I'm so sorry. I really tried to hold that one There's always a back. third one. I really tried to hold that one back. <sighs> that should do it. It's staying in, baby. As somebody that was more concerned with the animals this time than the people, I felt a little bit more engaged with the film and the story. Yeah. I was a little more... It's not like you're rooting for a side. It was just like... I think I had more of an understanding of... Um, I guess the struggles, especially with Caesar, and just like the... Um, the flow of nature and once these things get irreversibly screwed with you're gonna have to pay the consequences and just like looking at it a little bit more cold than i did the first time when i was like oh but james franco first time uh he doesn't show up in the other two movies by the way so i don't know yeah i don't know what happens to him did they i'm sure he's fine do you think they ever even considered the possibility that maybe the apes would just be nice like the dinosaurs from we're back <laughs> Like, maybe they'd just be really smart and nice and, like, want to be in parades in New York and stuff. It's a, it's a different tr trilogy, I Roll guess. Back I don't... Rock to the dawn of time and sing this song. It could have been great. I, I did want to <laughs> clarify, I gave it a 33 out of 50, which is a different metric than Greg's 29. 29 out of 40. Mm -hmm. So your score is a little higher than mine, yeah? Uh yes, I, I did I did the math wrong. You're right. Mine's a little higher. Sorry. Okay. I just I, I didn't know if I said what mine was out of and I was like we're gonna get a lot of first time mm. listeners because they the people love when we do monkeys. They love to see it. 
The people love monkeys. Boy, do they. But the monkeys do not always love the people. That is true. This We can't always assume it's going to be a we're back scenario. We have to prepare for the worst. That's right. He's definitely not one of the nice guys. Speaking of the nice guys, here's a seamless edit. We're back and ready to thinking. talk about the movie. The nice, the nice guys. guys. Starring comedic superstar duo Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. Yep. This was my pick for uh, movies for when you and your partner can't decide what to watch. Um... I hadn't seen this movie before. Uh, I met my girlfriend, and this was one of her favorite movies. Uh, it's something I always heard was pretty funny, and then we watched it together. I was like, this is one of my new favorite movies ever. I love it. And yeah, we've watched it several times together. It's great. It's great. Denny, have you seen this? What did you think? <laughs> yeah, Your turn. I, I did. Uh, I, I saw it in theaters, and I basically had the same reaction I had this time that I watched it, where... Um, I really enjoyed it around the midpoint. It kind of trailed off for me. Um, but I think, uh, you know, cinematically tone vibe and like smart writing, I'd give it a 10 out of 10, um, narrative, kind of, kind of went a little off the rails for me a yeah. little bit, but I do think it's really cool and I do really like it a lot. Um, it's, it's, I don't like it as much as you do. I don't think, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's a great movie and I really enjoyed watching it. Can I tell you what uh, enemy of the so enemy of the show C.J. Ferguson said about it? I think you've told me before, and I already agree. Yeah, with him. yeah, this would have done better as a miniseries. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And it, what this is like? What 2016? Is that when it came uh, out? Uh, 2016. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of buildup for that, and your uh, your your key clacking sounded a little bit like a drum roll, oh. um, which was nice. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was kind of right on the cusp of like television is the new indie cinema, you know. Like, and I'm just like, man, if you did this aesthetic with these writers and these actors, and just made it like a thirty minute kind of retro starsky and hutch type thing with a little more like blood and guts on hbo man i think i'd it'd be my favorite show for a while you know like i'd, I'd be hooked yeah um I'd, i it didn't quite have the stamina for uh for an hour 45 in my opinion but man if, if they could cap it at like a 45 minute and i'd i'd, I'd binge it man i i really do think there is um there is so much to love about the nice guys uh, and i i think you know, what I'd say about it is uh, good is the enemy of great. And I think they have the ingredients for just all-timer. You know, like just next-level shit. And I really think the first half of the movie was, was achieving that. And we'll, we'll get into it mm -hmm. a little bit more. Do we want to do a, a plot summary? Yeah, we'll do a... Ooh, well, that's going to be kind of hard based on what we just said. I'll do a plot summary yeah. <laughs> as best as I can. Um, it took me maybe until my third watch to really, like, gather the entire plot of this movie because it moves around a lot and even in my most recent rewatch uh two days ago i was picking up on stuff that i actually hadn't noticed before it's just mm -hmm. it's very dense uh it's basically about ryan gosling and russell crowe's characters they're two different private investigators that 
sort of get thrown onto the same case. They are employed by two different people to find two different people, but they're, they become intertwined and eventually uh, are trying to reach the same goal of finding uh, this girl, Amelia. Uh, they, like, act by act, scene by scene, are uncovering this sort of mystery uh, through their detective work of a massive conspiracy by, like, the Detroit automa uh, um, automotive companies and, like, the, the L.A. pornography industry. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, and they're just kind of peeling back the layers scene after scene. And, yeah, it's really cool and interesting uh but we don't really watch it for the cool interesting plot as engaging as it is once you kind of get the hang of it uh we watch for the hilarity that ensues between these two characters and the character of ryan gosling holland march uh his daughter holly uh the three of them create like a dynamic trio of just fun crime solving and and humor oh yeah no i um I, I've had a very similar reaction that you did the first time I watched it, where I was like, "That was pretty fun," but like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not really sure I understood what happened. Um, this time, I understood what happened a whole lot better, um, and I, I thought it actually tracked pretty logically for the most part. Um, also, between the first time I saw this and now, in those five years, I fell in love with the noir genre, um, I, and this is a neo noir. Um, I, I, I really do love a good kind of detective story. Um, this one really reminded me of one of my favorites, which is The Long Goodbye, if anybody has ever seen it. Um, but it's a, you know, daylight in L.A. noir instead of like a dark, gritty streets noir, but the same kind of formula. It had a lot going on for it. And honestly, my main critique is the same thing that I hate about a whole genre I love, which is... <laughs> by nature of a mystery um to keep you from figuring it out and to keep the protagonist working to figure it out it usually ends up being something really contrived and really complex and kind of stupid and by the time you get the reveal of what the mystery was you're just kind of like oh you know like I, that's kind of dumb <laughs> and that's kind of how i feel about most uh, most noirs but i i love the journey man and dude this movie's fucking funny it's um, so funny. I, I talked to someone recently, I don't remember who, that uh, was making a case that Ryan Gosling isn't a good actor. He just always plays the same role. And I would answer that with this movie. I thought he really got the chance to show his range and to show his chops and play a very different character than he's usually cast as. And not so much to the same extent, but also, yes, to Russell Crowe playing like the... Uh, old miserable bastard with a heart of gold he's, mm -hmm. he's done that in other stuff it's kind of three tend to yuma a little bit but um yeah i thought i thought both guys challenged themselves with this casting and i thought they succeeded at those challenges yeah that, that was one of my notes too um about gosling's character and the way he performs it like especially like his physical comedy is just Oh, it's all next level, man. Like, he, he does such a great job bringing this character to life. Who's kind of like... Maybe not down on his luck, but he... Like, 
stuff doesn't seem to go his way, but at at the same time throughout the movie, he's the luckiest person in the world. To the point where yeah. eventually he says, "I I think I'm invincible. Like I'm pretty sure I can't die. I think that's what's going on here." <laughs> <laughs> and like just like his delivery of lines, like him making jokes about some things and then taking other things way too seriously. It's just, it's so funny. And then every time he's in a stressful situation, that high-pitched scream he does is... <laughs> it never got old. I love it. Yeah, you know, we've we've watched a lot of comedies like this lately where I have the same thing to say. You just said it, basically, but I want to reemphasize it because I, I really appreciated it. It's like, man, it's one thing to write witty dialogue and smart dialogue that has setups and payoffs that's great and then you start flexing when you show that you can do physical comedy you know when you can do planful sight-based gags that are hilarious when like you know like the three stooges kind of did it all you mm -hmm. know <laughs> like and you're still impressing people with that i really really loved the physical comedy in this movie man like this was Again, while I didn't love everything about the movie, I am such a homer at this point, and maybe this is just, like, a state of cinema in general right now. Anything that seems inspired, I'm kind of on board with. You know, and there was just, like, so much funny, inspired stuff. Like, again, the toilet scene, um, <laughs> Gosling swimming after the mermaids, uh, just, like, so much stuff that they didn't have to do, that they just... It didn't have to be in the movie. Could have got the point across, but they went above and beyond in a lot of ways, and I really dug that. Mm -hmm. Man, it's it's like not only the stuff that he's doing. Like, remember when he like fell down the hill at that house party? He finds a dead body, and he just doesn't <laughs> like just. <laughs> it's how a drunk idiot would react. Yeah, exactly. And when he drags Russell Crowe's, like, sober, serious character into a comedic situation, mm -hmm. Crowe's character just, like, oh, he just jumps on board. Like, when they throw the dead body over the fence and they accidentally throw it into, like, a backyard party and, like, scare a yeah. whole bunch of people. And like, what are you doing? Let's run! <laughs> like, they bringing Russell Crowe into the comedy, it seems like he gets dragged into the comedic moments and delivers extremely well. Well, yeah, because he's, he's the straight man, he's the badass, but he's also not incredibly smart. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> like, it's not like he's, like, some super genius crime solver. Um, but while we were on that note, I wanted to go back and say, like, hey, Greg, two weeks in a row, you got your hot rod rolling down a hill scene. Dude, this is the third time <laughs> on this show we've had uh, somebody falling down a hill for a little bit too long. Yeah, it was pretty Hot great. Hot Rod set the standard, and uh, everyone else is just following suit, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of the take-your-hands-off-the-wheel scene where Gosling is dreaming? I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> the mm -hmm. bee in the back seat. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I, sorry, go ahead. It's something I thought was a little out of place. Or, like, I didn't really quite catch catch on to what was going on the first the first one one or two times i watched it but it's something i look forward to every time now yeah i thought that 
and then like Nixon in the pool were hilarious. <laughs> like just like what a payoff to that like does everyone see Nixon before they die story? You yeah. know, like that was like so fucking great. A story that Gosling's character said, like, you didn't even need to tell me that story. What a waste of fucking time. Yeah. And then it well, impacted him later. The, but the film the film universe seems to like imply that everyone does see Nixon before they die. That's <laughs> <laughs> kind of what I took away from it, which is really funny. <laughs> that that was the right perspective. Um and you know, I think we could have used like two more scenes like that, and maybe a little sooner. Um, because by the time they did the B thing, it was a real tonal break. You yeah. know, like, it was like a real, like, departure from everything we've seen in the movie. Um, and so was Nixon. And they were still great. Like, they were still fantastic. And I'm like, you should have rule of three'd me a little bit, or, like, warmed me up to, like, hey, we can do that in this movie. You know, like, I just, I think two was kind of weird and they were so different from everything else that it was kind of weird to happen that late in the game mm-hmm. but they were great they just needed i needed a little more of an escalation we went from zero to a hundred of like nothing like that happening to like full gonzo bonkers world crazy town banana pants you know? I, yeah like well i do love that they occasionally will jump into gonzo bizarre land funky pants whatever you just said um it it, it's not like they could do it the whole movie and i do appreciate this sort of restraint but like you said only having it um towards the last two-thirds of the film show up a couple times like you could have maybe built those up a little bit better i see what you're saying but like one one more hint because you know like you don't want to overdo it but you could have given me like one more hint that gosling sees funny things you know Mm -hmm. like a little bit earlier maybe done it in like the first act and let me forget about it you know like something along those lines it was very out of left field and kind of like the first time i saw it it kind of like robbed me of the moment because i was just like what the fuck is going on right now (laughs) like like did i miss something you know and i'm more trying to figure that out than paying attention to the scene and the second time around, I was like, this is so fucking good. <laughs> you know, like, when I knew it was coming, I was like, this is great. This is a great scene. Um, and I, I just think you could have given me one more hint. One more little escalation a little bit sooner. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, it's it's a script that, I don't want to say it's, like, too smart for its own good, but maybe it's a little too smart for its own good. Like, it, 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 I, it, yeah. it, did, it did incredibly well, and... Lucky f- for us, everything that they did build up did have some payoff. They're all everything that they tr- set out to do landed. I just feel like the timing of those things wasn't always maybe in the right place, you know? Yeah, you know, I think and that's where I really started devolving into critiques cuz I didn't really have a lot for the whole first half of the movie. And then around the midpoint, when our heroes get delineated, right? Like, it's when the stakes change, the story changes, We, it's not what they thought it would be. We start to get these, these backstories that I just didn't care about, that I was kind of like, that's not really what this is about. And then we find out that, like, Russell Crowe is very much this, like, principled person, which is 
not really the character we'd known for the first half of the movie um we get some kind of shoehorned messages i just uh i thought it got a little bit clunky i had some thoughts on improvements i was like well maybe like i think this is the thing right they have these two great characters as an engine for the movie right two like uh yin and yang type characters and they're both really good they're very well written very well performed they don't really have very much personally at stake in the crime they're trying to solve and i think maybe they could have used a personal issue um something to really more directly tie them into what they're doing beyond it's our job um because you know there's there's a good story there with amelia and her corrupt mom and the pornos and um all, all that stuff which you know I, I thought the corruption was a little too telegraphed that's neither here nor there um but and then by the time it's all done it's like this was all about like pollution in detroit <laughs> and the movie's set in la you know it's just like all of this is very very removed from what matters to our protagonist and i think that's kind of what made it just a little bit clunky to me made it fall a little bit flat by the end of it yeah. thoughts feelings reactions no nah, i think that's fair criticism uh, i don't think that turns me off to it as much as it does uh for you hmm. um i think at a certain point i had watched it you know maybe the fourth or fifth time watching it I had certainly noticed those things, but I was already past it because here comes another joke kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I was um, less concerned. Well, I, I think you're right. I think those are good criticisms. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, uh, maybe, a, maybe a better way to tell this story. Uh, yeah, it, it maybe didn't matter as much to me because I was still getting hit over the head with some great comedic moments. <laughs> when those realizations yeah. were coming into play oh dude every damn joke landed man. yeah like every damn joke was great um i was just like uh you expected me to care about this stuff though you know right like it's kind of like balance it out um i thought the action was great in the finale man they did some really really great cool things um i think i'm just a story structure first guy yeah you know like that's 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 just the shape of my brain that's my cup of tea I really like an airtight story, and, uh, and and again, you know, it's it's what I said at the beginning. Good is the enemy of great. That that's kind of my biggest critique, you know, as I'm like, this is a good movie. Like, there's no doubt about that. The Nice Guys is a really good movie. I'm not trying to say it's not. Um, I think they had, I think they had the elements in play for something next level. Yeah, and they didn't quite get there. And I think they could have with just a. A little tightening of the screws, you know? It's not broken, it doesn't need to be completely fixed, but I think you could have tightened up the screws a little bit and really taken it to the next level. Dude, one thing that was great... Keith David. Keith motherfucking David! How I'm glad you brought it up, because I would have if you didn't. Uh, could have used more! Could have used more! He's so fucking good, man! I love him. He's seriously like a top five actors ever for me. I fucking love Keith David. He's man. in 500 things, and he's always like such a pivotal part. Like, just like, what makes you enjoy the thing was Keith David. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's another, like, 
flaw in the movie is you could have given me more Keith David and Blueface. Like they were they were a fantastic little duo, man. I really <laughs> really liked them. Um, oh, I was so happy when I saw this in theaters. I had no idea he was in it, and I had just finished season six of Community, in which he is featured heavily. Um, and I was just like, son of a bitch. He just like shows <laughs> up, and I was like. Fuck yes, Keith David's in this. I'm so excited. Oh, he's fantastic. It, it's like playing a... Like, what is he? Like, a, just a 70s... It's like, I think he's just a 70s kind of like... He's dude, just got that vibe. You know? Yeah, like, I, he seems like, too old to play like the 70s goon thug kind of character. Like, you think yeah. he would be like... A much smarter guy than that and he plays the smarter of the two characters between uh him and blueface yeah. in the movie but even then he's not you know like a buffoon or anything but he he's no he's a career criminal right career organized crime type of guy he's, he's playing kind of a henchman character and as minor yeah. as the role is i think he he carries it in such a way that he feels like more important than maybe he is within the story or within, like, his own character's little world. Dude, you put Keith David in a really sleek-looking 70s red suit, that's what I'm going to focus on in the scene. Sorry. Like, if you didn't want him to steal the show, maybe you shouldn't have had Keith David in cool-ass clothes. Don't give him the spotlight. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's what, seem, that's what stands out to me about those scenes. He's Keith fucking David. Uh, I wanted to give some love to uh, the character of Ryan Gosling's daughter, Holly. I thought she was incredibly funny and interesting. Like, I thought her character was super fun. And she brought a lot of... She tied a lot of scenes together. And she kind of played two different roles of playing, like, the smart, wisecracking kid... But then also kind of like the innocent party that needs to be protected. Like, I really liked her character in the movie, and I thought she was played very well. I I thought she was a little gimmicky, to be honest. Fine. Um, and no, it's not bad. And honestly, like, it's a trope that I love. The, like, uh, the little girl who is just busting chops of the grown-ass men and is right. Yeah, I, I love that trope. Like, it works really, really well in uh, 500 Days of Summer um there there's like so much cool stuff you can do with it um it it came across as kind of inorganic to me to be honest i, I was on the other side of the fence okay uh andrew rice is the uh the actress's name she was most recently in a uh, mayor of east town which is a show that uh leon and i watched and we really liked it she was she's a really good actress um yeah i think oh yeah nothing ag nothing against her performance at all like she was great especially you know judging by child actor standards i thought she did a great oh job. yeah yeah because she's i think she's like 13 in the movie she's maybe like 14 or so when they filmed it and just like her eye rolls her teenager eye rolls it was all perfect like don't yeah, say don't say and stuff just say you were doing anal <laughs> that was a great running bit great running bit that i i laughed at every time and you know, I, I did really love the, like, I'm going to tag along in these highly dangerous situations and be, like, smarter than my dad and be totally parentized and worry about him taking care of himself. Mm -hmm. And 
I also have another hat that I wear where I'm a normal kid that wants to have sleepovers with my yeah, friends. Yeah, exactly. You know, like that, that's a fun a fun duality, yeah. Uh, I don't think she played the character too incredibly helpless, which I think would have been a lot more detrimental to the character yeah. if she was just completely helpless and, like, that would that would have been, like, a personal stake for our main characters. Oh, we have to protect yeah. this dumb helpless child that keeps getting into trouble like she's smart enough to stay out of trouble and she only gets into situations because her dad (laughs) kind of gets her into them and sometimes she needs to be rescued or she will rescue him i thought she was really she was really fun no and well that that's what was really smart about the character and again if i could say one word about the writing of this movie i would say smart um, I just thought it was really sharp and poignant in so many moments. Um, you know, she was a very, very resourceful and capable kid who was limited by also being a kid. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there were some situations where she was, you know, inexperienced. Adults took advantage of her. Ultimately, when she, when you she, know, th- 13 year old girl versus grown mobster, <laughs> there's an obvious disadvantage, but her limits weren't because she was like, stupid or a damsel or uh i've got to save my daughter type of thing mm-hmm. but just she was a kid yeah she was smart resourceful brilliant even but still a kid she, right she thought that coffee was hot man that was great <laughs> that was really really great that was fantastic <laughs> that was really good that was a good moment oh man uh and it also got a it got a female in the mix in a very male movie mm-hmm. <sighs> Man, uh, I guess my last thing on it, uh, one minor thing, I really loved Gosling's hatred for the character Chet. <laughs> yeah. It got more and more endearing that uh, every time he said Chet, every time somebody mentioned him, Gosling would just be like, a oh, fucking Chet. <laughs> never really seemed like he had a legit reason to hate him, but he just did, and it carried through the whole movie, and it was hilarious. Yeah. No, that was great. Um yeah, I guess that's all I really have. I'm with you, man. Do you want to get into gimmicks? Yeah, sure. What's your uh, favorite moment of compromise for the nice guys? My favorite moment of compromise was when Russell Crowe was like done with Ryan Gosling being Ryan Gosling being an idiot, um, and they decided to work together because of his genius, realizing it wasn't a flight and it was actually an apartment building that was on the notepad. Um, only to immediately find out he was 100% wrong. But <laughs> he's still tagging along for the adventure. Um, that that was my favorite moment of compromise, just because they, like, they played it up like, oh, he's drunk, but he's super intelligent. That's what he brings to the but table. He... And it was like, nope, wrong, <laughs> <laughs> useless shithead. They were right the first time. And then they just happened to get to the right place anyways. I thought that was that yeah. was a great scene, man. Yeah. What was yours? Uh, my favorite moment of compromise is every time Holly drove Ryan Gosling around because he was too drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Just having the kid drive her drunk dad around, I, I thought was a great moment of compromise. Happened a couple yeah, times. I, uh, I, I, I'm a little too close to that. <laughs> Not in real life, but uh, I, uh, I've counseled a lot of people who were very traumatized by their drunk parents and having to drive them places so Mm. that was not mine (laughs) that makes sense definitely definitely Um, not in my perspective but go ahead what's uh what's your critic or score oh shit wait no favorite favorite line line line. is next sir 
Um, when they go to the uh, Amelia's boyfriend's house, where the house burst up in flames when they were burning the film, uh, there's that kid that rode up on his bike that they were asking information for, like, hey, do you know the guy who lived here? And that kid says, um, I offered to show my dick because uh, I got a big dick. That was so fucking funny. It was so good. He just offers it like, $20 to let you see my dick. Nobody wants to see your dick, Actually, dude. I completely forgot about that scene until right now. It was so good. It was so good. Um, I think you already said mine, which was, uh, don't say and stuff, just say they're doing and. Yeah. Um, so I'll go for another variation. Uh, the young lady, the porno young lady, yes. which was great. <laughs> the porn star, the young lady, the porno young lady. <laughs> lady. God, that was great. Um, Endless, on that endlessly note, quotable. I have a question I need to ask What's up? you. Did the did one of the characters being named Misty Mountain make you think of The Hobbit at all? Uh, maybe on my first watch, yes. <laughs> Our misty mountain home. It's all I thought of every time. How do you like my hobbit? Anyway. How do you like my hobbit hole, big boy? <laughs> Greg, what's your damn critical score, you cheeky bastard? Um, it's pretty high, man. It's a thirty-six out of forty. Damn. That's a nine out of ten. Damn. Uh, for all the um setbacks that i think the script maybe had or the narrative maybe had the fact that this could have been better if it was a little more spread out maybe done in two parts maybe three as a mini series all the jokes land all the characters are fantastic um on enough watch throughs i understand the story a little bit better and it becomes less of a setback for me yeah it's great the performances are just fantastic so like it, it's so hard not to love and of course being my pick i have a lot of personal attachment to this movie so 36 out of 40 Fair for enough. me how about you um i gave it a 37 out of 50 so nice if your brain works like mine you'd think i rated it higher than you because i don't understand things like that but i actually rated it lower um you know 37 38 those spots on my criticer are stuff that i very much enjoyed had a good time watching would totally watch again but i wouldn't call it an all-timer mm -hmm. you know like that's that's kind of where i land on it i definitely like this movie i'm a big fan um man again i i really want i want it to be like a, a 45 because i think it had all the tools mm -hmm. And it just doesn't quite get there for me. So I, I've got it. At a, I've got it at a thirty-seven, which is not an insult. You know, like that's a. I really liked it. It was good. Definitely one of my things that I like. But, you know, not just not a favorite. Not something that I think is like, stop the world and watch it. You know. Yeah, most definitely. Old as ancient skies, I've got these wandering eyes. But you took me by surprise when you let me inside of you. Seamless edit. Seamless edit. Do you want to be? Is it wrong to be? 
Seamless edit. I just went from six to seamless. (laughs) (laughs) We're back, everybody. Movies for when you and your partner can't decide what to watch. Uh, Denny has graced us with his tremendous pick that we... (laughs) It's a movie that we had decided would fit three or four different themes... We got yep. lucky that this is uh, this is one of the themes that it will fit. Denny, what's your pick for this episode? My pick is forgetting Sarah Marshall uh, because man, if Vanessa and I ever can't decide what to watch, we go with this one, baby. It's like we'll put it on while we're cleaning. We'll put it on when we're having a rough night. If we just like are like, mm, I want to watch TV, but I don't know what, we'll be like. You know, it's been about three months since we watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> We're about due for a rewatch. Like, we've, we've watched this movie so many times. Um, I watched it right before the show just to, like... I, I, I knew what was going to happen when I went into it. I was like, for posterity's sake, I kind of want to watch it. But I just don't even think it's going to, like, make a difference if I refresh myself on it or not. Because I know this movie so well. Um, I barely took any notes or wrote anything down like i'm just like this is this is in my bones i fucking love forgetting sarah marshall man yeah this is your whiplash uh i don't know if i'd call it that (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a movie that i had also i i've seen a bajillion times denny and i um i think one of the first times i went over to your place i saw that you had this dvd on your shelf i was like I love this movie, and you're like, no, I love it more. And I think the relationship grew three times that day. Wow, it was it's it's so good, man. Like I've loved this movie for a long time, and just like you, I've seen it enough times that we could have forgone the rewatch for this episode. But I I wanted to watch it again anyways. It, it had been a little bit for of time for me. I'll take I'll take any excuse to watch it, man. Like I was like, I'll watch this was the perfect anywhere. excuse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anytime, anywhere, you're not gonna get a no from me if you suggest this. Like that's just the way it is, man. I'm nowhere near tired of it, and I have seen it so many times at this point. Um, I'll give us a little synopsis real quick. Yeah, summarize the plot for us, please. Um, Jason Siegel is a composer who is uh dating a famous csi type actress sarah marshall um she breaks up with his naked ass in the first uh (laughs) one of the first scenes in the movie um he is absolutely devastated this is definitely a movie about like everybody has their big ex you know like they're the like the ex who absolutely rocked them to the core this is a movie about that for jason siegel's character pete um he decides after just like months of hating himself and spiraling that he at bill Hader's uh suggestion should take a trip he goes to hawaii and guess who is at the hotel sarah marshall and her boyfriend russell brand who plays himself under the pseudonym aldis snow in this movie <laughs> did i say plays herself i meant plays himself no you, you did it yeah you're good okay cool um i'm a couple old fashions in um I am. And hilarity ensues as he falls in love with Mila Kunis and then falls out of love with her, kind of. Can't get over his weird shit. 
Um, and uh, it all culminates in a Dracula musical with puppets being actualized, and that's how you know he achieved independent growth. Um, I fucking love this movie, man. Um, there was a time in my life when I just only watched dramedies because it was the only thing I related to at the time. I just would watch... I just wanted to see some sad boy shit, man. I just wanted to see it over and over. Um, and Forgetting Sarah Marshall was always there for me. One of the highest compliments I have ever received in my life was when, uh, when this came out when I was in high school. A friend of the show, Troy Stewart, told me that he had to look away from the sex scenes because Jason Siegel's character reminded uh, him too much of me. Um, and that's a little less true now, but I was very bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, <laughs> clean sa- clean-shaven and curly-headed at that time. And uh, I, it just meant a lot to me that he would be like, that was enough like you that I couldn't watch him have sex. I'm glad I never met the old Denny. You're, yeah, it's probably better. <laughs> I only ever met bearded Denny, and he's only gotten more so since. It's my final form. This is my I feel last like you're stop, not, brother. You're not yet. You've not yet reached your final form. I feel like. I think Silver Fox Denny will be my final form, but there's there's a. You're gonna be you're gonna be so hot, dude. There's a strong possibility of a skullet happening between now and then. Oh man. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. This might be my peak. <laughs> embrace it while you've got it man yeah uh i don't even know where to start me neither like that's that's a great synopsis um everyone's got their big breakup i feel like peter is maybe not necessarily an everyman given his occupation and his interests but as soon as he gets to the island of well, the island resort that he goes to in Hawaii, he kind of becomes an everyman, and mm-hmm. he starts making friends with everybody that he comes in contact with. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is a movie that we had picked for an episode that we're thinking of when you see a... or uh, when you like a actor on a television show and you want to see more, because this had so many uh, actors and actresses that were in television shows that mm-hmm. we liked that all seem to come into this movie and then this topic actually came up and it fit the bill perfectly too so i'm so i'm so stoked to talk about this one man me too man um i've got i've got an opener hit me i want to discuss judd apatow's man children yay i have a note about it too give it to me brother um my note is very short. It is just, this is the good version of an Apatow film. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't like those style of movies where it's just like... That's kind of my main issue with this movie, actually. Where it's trying to sort of emulate this sort of formula of... Um, I th- there's a YouTube channel that uh, coined the phrase, like, just slightly edited improv. Yeah. Where you can just tell, like, we shot a hundred takes of these two characters saying whatever the actors thought of and we picked the funniest things and it robs the humanity for me a little bit it's just it just feels a little exhausting yeah it feels like it's not people saying it but like uh two actors trying to like one up each other and it's it can be funny but it usually feels pretty soulless and then the other aspect of an apatow film for me is just like the we've got the first two thirds of the movie 
that are trying to focus on comedy. And then we've got this 40 minute sequence of just boring, overly serious, character driven plot that is not earned. It just feels like, you know, his movies will generally get into this sequence of, ah, uh, well, like, now because of my actions, my relationship is falling apart and we gotta spend the next 40 minutes rebuilding it or something like that. Like, it's, we've cast aside all of the jokes and we're now going to be very, very serious even though we didn't really earn it. These characters don't feel like they've developed properly to this point. This movie is the good version of that, where these things are earned, but there's still the comedic moments that mm -hmm. uh, carry it through. Man, we are, we are at odds today, because I love Apatow. I really do. <laughs> and it's all right. Honestly, I don't really have much of an answer to anything you said. I'd say it's valid. I, it just works for me. I don't hate all of his movies. I don't think they're all within that same formula, but it, it does seem to happen a lot. And it just, after a while, it gets a little tired. Where I feel like they generally do tend to get a little se too serious when it's not earned. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I can give you that. I, I really can. Um, I, I, I'm kind of a homer for dramedies, so I, I just, I think I have less hangups than you, is all that it is. You know, I, I'm just a homer. I'm not as critical. And I think that's all it is. Everything you said makes sense. Um, you know, I, I just always hear a criticism I really don't like of his work, and it's not one you made. Um, it's that he just writes these, like, stories about man-children getting what they want, and which, by the way, he didn't write this. He directed it. Jason Siegel wrote this. Um, and you can tell, because it's really thought... over... Someone else directed this. I'm sorry. Hold on. I'm, uh, Apatel might have produced it. Greg, hit up. He, he did produce it. He did produce it, and his wife is actually in the movie. Oh, cool. But he he did not direct it. But Good. yeah, uh, Jason Siegel did did write it, and I think that that helped a ton. Well, yeah, and you can tell because it's overwritten because Jason Siegel <laughs> always overwrites, and <laughs> I happen to love his writing, um, so I don't mind. But like, man, he wrote the Muppets, and like. The credits are rolling and the story's still finishing. <laughs> yeah, like in the puppets. Like he always overwrites and I just I love his writing, so I don't mind. Um But my 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 answer to this, like when people are like it's always about man children getting what they want, I'm like, man, every Apatow movie I've ever seen is about a man child having to learn that he can't be a man child. You know, like it's about like this kind of male fantasy that I think most of us have had of like, I could just fuck around and jerk off and play video games with my friends forever. And hot women will just love me. And I could make that happen for myself. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you, if you're not an incel, you grow up and realize that's not the way it works. And you have to be fucking worth a shit. <laughs> you have to learn how to do relational work and things like that. Um, and so my, my thing is like, it always starts with a man child, but the man child has to grow up and forget his man child ways, you know, like he has to, this isn't fucking Billy Madison where like he does one nice thing and all of a sudden Veronica Vaughn wants his dick, you know, like it's, it's not that, um, yeah. This isn't Blake check where the child becomes a child child and then an adult woman also wants to kiss him, but please continue. 
I learned nothing from that movie. Um, <laughs> Brought but, it back, baby. Well, no, I, I think this one even has a kind of cool, unreliable narrator element to it. Where we're yes. seeing it all from Pete's perspective and, oh, I'm the victim. How could she do this to me? And then around, you know, the, the second act break, he just starts getting roasted very appropriately by Sarah Marshall. Um, you know, like of her being like, dude, I couldn't drown with your bitch ass anymore. Like, I don't like you have all these excuses like I didn't like your style or you weren't fancy enough. Shut the fuck up. You're like a depressed, miserable bastard who hates his life and never leaves his house. And don't fucking tell me I didn't try. You know, like she's all yeah. like, I went to therapy. I did all this stuff and you wouldn't do it with me. I left you because I was trying to work on our relationship and you wouldn't work on it. Yeah. You know, like it is just like, damn, how fitting. Um, that's, that's a very important difference uh for like a breakup movie is this is like movies from the perspective of a man child and movies about a man child is him kind of getting put in a place where like in a breakup movie or in breakups in general it's definitely something that goes both ways nobody yeah. is completely blameless and i think a movie that's like maybe in the perspective of a man child or created by one is definitely going to be like woman bad mm -hmm. girl evil yeah boy good man man so smart yeah but this one really um gave some proper perspective on like no human beings are human beings and both parties can be at fault for a breakup just because maybe someone didn't uh carry it through in the right way there's there's more to it than that like it's it's a complex complicated issue mm -hmm. and both both parties can be at fault in their own minor ways maybe it it got carried out in the wrong way like it did in this case mm -hmm. but i don't feel like sarah marshall was completely out of place for no, at no least way. breaking up with him no well, that's the thing it's like okay, if you want out of a relationship, you probably shouldn't drag it out for a year while you cheat on him, right? You know, like, that's not mm -hmm. that's not good to do. Um, and, well, and they get so much sympathy on Jason Siegel because we all just know what it's like to feel as naked as he literally was when, you know, like, but we know what it's like to feel that just, <laughs> like, vulnerable embarrassed caught off guard and just like have our hearts smashed you know like just mm -hmm. be just like decimated by someone that we trusted or thought wouldn't leave us we we've just everybody's been there and if you haven't good for you i hope you're never there um it <laughs> sucks and it's hard and they just get this sympathy on him from the beginning and to me i just related to him so much that i'm never questioning what could he have done better and then like yeah should she have misled him? No. Right? Like, that's not that's not a clean break. That's not the way to do it. But should she have stayed with him? Fuck no. He's a fucking miserable bastard. He's a fucking mm -hmm. sad sack piece of shit. And that's what I love about the movie is he has to he, he has to leave Hawaii, go home, and reconcile his shit and become not such a fucking miserable piece of shit. And that's when he's ready for another relationship. Yeah. Not because he inherently deserves it. You know, like, not because he's, like, 
owed a partner. You know, like he has to like stop thinking about that so much and stop obsessing over it and go like face some hard truths about himself and do some fucking self-actualization work. And that's when he becomes appealing to someone else beyond like a fling, you know? Mm -hmm. And a lesser movie would have definitely spent a lot of time with Jason Siegel's character just dunking on her and be like, Oh yeah, me bad. Well, you bitch. Oh, yeah. gotcha. got gotcha. But yeah, it it was a lot of growth between the two characters, and like you see from the beginning, their relationship maybe wasn't great, and there was you know they say it's like a five like a five year relationship. I think yeah. four or five, four or five year know. relationship. Both people need to absolutely work on themselves and they don't have that perspective that they need to do that. And after the breakup and then, you know, after the ensuing flings and one night stands or whatever with Peter, like he finally comes to the understanding that he does need to work on himself. He can improve himself. And that's when he's going to be ready for another relationship yeah, and that kind of thing. So it, it's not, he doesn't become the better man by getting revenge on her in some way he becomes a better man by becoming a better man exactly well it has but, nothing to do with her yeah well and that's it's a cool thread throughout the movie where he's basically deified her and made her his manic pixie dream girl and all that shit and then he keeps having these flashbacks of just like kind of shitty moments where it's basically like hey she didn't really like me the way i am you know, like, she didn't like me for who I am. And then he can finally have what he wants, which is to get back with her. And he has this great line of, like, maybe it's because you shattered my heart into a thousand pieces and my cock doesn't want to be around you anymore. <laughs> um, you know, and that that's after he's been roasted. And also he's doing something fucked up in that moment and being self-destructive and being a shithead. Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the process of how we deal with pain you know like hurting people hurt people and he's insecure and he doesn't know what he wants um and he finally fucking chooses to own up to it he goes to mila kunis and or mila kunis excuse me i always pronounce her name wrong because phonetically the way it's spelled you shouldn't hear the l in two syllables but that's just me being a weird guy that obsesses over that um but he goes over to Mila Kunis. No, Mila Kunis. I said it fucking right the first time. I'm so up my own ass about that. You're getting there, buddy. Well, no, but he learns how to be straightforward and own up to his shit and say, like, hey, you need to hear this. I I care about our relationship, and I did something that is really not cool, and I'm just going to come straight to you and tell you about it. And she's like, cool, get the fuck out of my life. And he actually respects that and says, like, okay, not what I wanted, but I'm going to leave you alone. Which is mm -hmm. what he fucking needed to learn the whole time. Don't stalk your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> like, a very simple yeah. lesson. High fidelity, take notes. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> Fuck high I fidelity. Put, I put in my notes that it was the 45-minute uh, mark before Peter had any, like, realizations that there were negative aspects to his relationship with Sarah. Yeah. There's like, he... He had all these flashbacks with his one-night stands. It was just like, man, things were so perfect with her. And then I think it was at that, at that bar 
with Mila Kunis and she says something that makes him think like man Sarah always made me hold the purse stand off to the side I was just kind of cast aside and charged with it like he he had started having like negative memories about the relationship with Sarah yeah and it took a long time into the story for him to have that yeah no it's it's pretty great like again that unreliable narrator we start to like be like oh we've seen this whole thing from his perspective but he's hurting and he's just romanticizing everything and playing total victim you know like totally mm -hmm. going on this like our nice guys kick you know like of mm -hmm. i'm a great guy she left me for some chad rock star um <laughs> that fucking Dude, the Aldous Snow character is so great. I know that uh, Russell Brand has really fallen out of grace with like the court of public opinion in recent years, and I, I don't really know why, and I don't really care why. I just I don't keep up with celebrities and their personal lives and their stances on things. I just know that like people seem kind of tired of him. I fucking love his work in this movie, man. He's basically playing a parody of himself, you know, like yeah. making fun of who he is. Um, and oh, Aldous Snow is a great character, man. Aldous Dude. Snow is so good. He's so funny. And then, like, he he's the bad guy. Like, he's he's the guy that Sarah Marshall cheated with, right? But then he's got this absolutely sincere and endearing relationship with every single male character in the movie except for jonah hill and <laughs> you're just like even the main character admits fuck you're cool like it just... which is weird because i hate you in so many ways but <laughs> yeah like... like he's just a cool guy and like he makes real connections he's always willing to like help another guy open up and like mm -hmm. tackle their issues except for jonah hill and it's always it's just always feels genuine from him i like it no it comes they they do so much saving cats you know like save the cat from the tree moments with him oh i was about to say we're not watching that movie this week no that's probably going to be in december if i ever get that youtube video made i've been really stressed out um <laughs> really fucking busy um <laughs> But, we'll make it uh, happen buddy it's gonna happen hopefully sometime in october um i got i got a i got a i got a doozy in the chamber um but uh yeah man like they just constantly humanize this guy you're supposed to hate and it's kind of the gateway to like multiple perspectives you know like where you know pretty much everybody has an arc you know like sarah marshall gets humanized in so many ways um even like uh fucking mila kunis I was trying to figure out how to say her name again. That's one of those weird things that's in my head, and I can't remember which one's right. Um, never gonna, you're never gonna feel comfortable with it. I know Mila Kunis, um, aka the the lady on that '70s show, just to play it safe. Um, <laughs> no, but like she has this cool arc. She's got her own life going on. You know, I just feel like they added so much perspective to pretty much every character, which is pretty crazy for a comedy at the end of the day this is a comedy you know it's it's just a breakup comedy yeah and you said jason siegel overwrites his characters yeah he overwrites we all everything 
We did, all benefited this time. <laughs> did Jack McBrayer and his uh, his new bride need to be in this movie at all? No. But I'm was it good sure that they gl- were there? Yes. I'm so glad they were there. Yes. Oh, they're fantastic. Or like, uh, you know, there's a scene in the in the extended edition. Kristen Wiig is in this movie and is just completely cut. Oh yeah, well she's the uh, yoga instructor. Yeah, 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 and it's yeah. really funny and it's really great, but it ultimately doesn't really serve much of a purpose. So <laughs> she just didn't make it. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot about it because I've I've watched the uh, unrated version mm-hmm. the most times, yeah, same and then here. this most this most recent watch I watched the uh, standard version. Same here, because I was on a time crunch. Yeah, it was, it was like six I, minutes shorter. <laughs> There was like a few scenes where I was like, "Okay, they didn't show this." I totally forgot the the uh, Kristen Wiig uh, scene wasn't included in that. Yeah, and there's a there's some extended Bill Hader bits which are really great. I, I highly mm-hmm. recommend the uh, the extended cut of this movie. It's not that different, but if you've watched it as many times as me and Greg have, it adds a little extra a little extra bonus for you. I would put the two at identical quality. Like yeah. I don't I don't I don't think you lose or I mean, you gain a couple jokes, and like usually extended editions are like, okay, maybe we didn't really need all of this. Like, shaving fifteen minutes was a benefit, but I feel like in this case, the extended edition is. (laughs) I say it like it's like a Lord of the Rings cut, but (laughs) it's seven minutes longer. (laughs) It's seven minutes longer, and it's seven minutes that are worth your time. Yeah, no, I mean, again, it's overwritten. There's stuff that just didn't need to be there that they cut, but it's all good and it all works and you just get a little extra time and i really like it you want to know something yeah um i thought this uh whole discussion was going to be really similar to um this is spinal tap where we just can't help but only talk about the jokes we liked yeah we've been talking about like all the serious implications and like uh deeper meaning behind the character development we haven't even talked about like the level of humor in this film it's really that much. It's hilarious, man. It's so it's fucking fucking funny, movie. funny. Dude, Vanessa and I were watching it like literally right before we recorded this. I've already gone into detail about how many times we have watched this movie together and we're still like laughing out loud at parts. <laughs> we're just like god damn, that's funny. <laughs> like it's so <laughs> Not like an evil version of this shoe. <laughs> <laughs> that might be one of my favorite scenes is uh, the reuniting of Sarah and oh. uh, Peter in the hotel lobby. Oh, I wish I wasn't wearing this fucking shirt. Fucking shirt. <laughs> <laughs> fucking good. Uh, here we go, just quoting all the jokes from the movie. Uh, yeah. If you haven't seen this movie, get around to it. it it's what, 2008? I want to say it's oh eight, yeah, because it came yeah. out my senior year of high school, pretty much near the end of it. Yeah, ah, what an what an old guy, man! Right. Right. <sighs> oh, dude, this is like pretty soon after, like um, pretty soon after Superbad for Jonah Hill. Yeah, like one of one of his first comedic roles as a minor character. Like I thought he was incredible in this movie. Oh, he was fucking great. Man. He's so funny. Oh, dude, no, this was when, this was when, like, Superbad was end of summer 07, and mm-hmm. Forgetting Sarah Marshall was beginning of summer 08, so you were, like, 
oh my god, it's Jonah Hill. You know, like he's in this movie. He'd kind of, he 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 was officially a thing by the time this came out. Um, Dude, one of the lines that he says, uh, it took like, <laughs> I think it was like the fifth or sixth time I watched this movie, where he tells uh, Peter, "I'll just go fuck myself then." Oh, and then <laughs> Peter says, "What?" <laughs> Mahalo. I I didn't know what Jonah Hill was saying. Like I I miss it because he says it so fast and like kind of quiet that it didn't really was what he's saying until like a few times watching it. I'll bet Vanessa and I say that at least once a week. I'll just go fuck myself. Away, I'll just go fuck myself then. Yeah, all the time. Mahalo. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Yeah, man. Um, You know. This movie helped me legitimately with some breakups because I think the reason... I mean, like, dude, there's a million funny movies out there. There's movies that are maybe funnier than this, right? But, like, the comedy means something in this movie, and it's because we have this very strong emotional content. Not that it's insanely in-depth. Like, it's it's just enough to be real, and I think it comes across as very sincere. Um a scene that gets me every time is when Peter comes back from Hawaii and he's just like hilariously talking to himself while playing the piano about how he just writes bullshit songs and should go see a psychiatrist, but he doesn't Mm -hmm. want to. And you just see him just eventually just go like, fuck. And they let it be silent for a minute. And then he starts playing Dracula's lament and leads into it's getting kind of hard to believe things are going to get better and it comes across as very serious when it came across as hilarious the first time we heard it um and i think i particularly relate to it because that's how i write whenever i write something i usually use like a comedic lens to communicate something that's very emotionally important to me and i'll usually kind of like left hook you with comedy and then right hook you with like trauma um that's just (laughs) typically every every everything i've written how it goes um and i just really related to that when there's like a moment in that because you've heard him say earlier that like why he relates to dracula because he just he's like everybody else he wants to be loved i have a very similar relationship with frankenstein um that he's just he looks different he's big people think he's a monster they're intimidated of him but he's just very confused um Mm -hmm. and that's all all you so far yeah exactly (laughs) um and I, i just i don't know i really related to that moment where you see that like hey the dracula musical is not something funny to him it's kind of how he deals with his shit and kind of how he sees himself and that's why it's his final task is to actually actualize that because this is actualizing himself and he's genuinely putting his heart into uh genuinely putting his heart into this like puppet musical because he's dealing with his shit through writing it and man guys youtube dracula's lament and find the version where jason siegel performs it on conan o'brien um I assume it's from his full Dracula musical, which I've always heard he wrote a full one and put it in this movie because he wanted a platform for it. Um, it seems like a reprise just about like how happy he is now that he's found love and happiness. And it is a beautiful song that makes me cry. 
like I cry and I think about my wife when I listen to it and how fortunate I am to know her and be with her and I just I can't recommend it enough guys go do it right now YouTube Dracula's Lament and find the one where Jason Siegel's on a talk show with a puppet it's so fucking good wait till after the podcast before you do that or whatever uh, do whatever you want <laughs> Live your life. We're not here, and we're not we're not in charge of yeah. you, <laughs> man. That's awesome, man. I do have to go watch that, so I'm gonna pause the podcast, look <laughs> yeah. it up myself. Greg, if you're listening to this after you've edited it and uploaded it, pause the podcast. Mm-hmm. This is my mm-hmm. reminder to you. This is meta. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, we're getting meta over here. <laughs> listening, Greg, do it. <laughs> <laughs> That'll teach him. It's been done. All right. <laughs> Dude, um, I think an, probably an understated part of uh, the healing process for Peter's uh, journey here is all of these supportive dude friends yeah. that he had on in Hawaii that were, like, legitimately and genuinely listening to him. Yeah. Like, he had the bartender he had jack mcbrayer's character he had the large hawaiian dude that uh (laughs) slaughtered a a pig with him yeah he looks like a gigantic baby i didn't mean that like he had a whole bunch of paul rudd give some cred paul rudd yeah even though he didn't maybe (laughs) realize (laughs) (laughs) maybe didn't realize he was helping but yeah he had a whole bunch of supportive male characters that were talking him up and uh really supporting him and listening to him and even though like they all seemed like listen we've all heard that you were dating sarah marshall through other people you need to stop talking about it like they're tired of his problems before they even talk to him Mm -hmm. but they still will listen and like give advice and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and i think that really helped him a lot it was just i think it was Bill Hader's, <laughs> Bill Hader's girlfriend Liz, it says like just go out there and you know just make some friends and it turned out to be really good advice. Yeah, make some friends, go out and meet people. He, um, Peter seemed really natural at going out and meeting people and having like an instant conversation with him, and maybe they turned into guys at the breakfast bar that would punch him in the face on the beach later Mm -hmm. uh the majority of the time it was people that were willing to listen and maybe give him a quick word of advice about his problems and really understand where he's coming from well yeah he felt heard and seen and it's something that more men need in their lives man the ability to like talk about how we're feeling and just in counseling the term is being with You know, like, instead of trying to solve your problems, instead of being fixed, just have somebody to be with you, just to hear what you're feeling while you express it, and not worry about a solution. You know, just let let the feeling be in the room and let someone be with you while you're feeling it. As men, we are not socialized to do this, and it is a very powerful need, and I think the world would be a much better place if if more if more dudes were out here doing that for each other if more dudes felt safe asking for emotional help and more dudes felt safe providing it like it's it's a really cool thing i was about to say like not only do you have to be able to find the support system you have to be open to accepting it and uh living in it so most definitely very important man we're (laughs) 
we were getting a lot of serious points out of this. Dude, why would we not? Ridiculous comedy. Dude, it's a, it's a serious movie. That's why it's a special comedy. Like, do you think we would talk about Knocked Up like this, which I do think is a pretty good comedy and it's fun? Or, like, I don't know. Last time I tried to watch 40-Year-Old Virgin, I actually turned it off because I was like, that's this isn't the same. But, um, no, this is there's a reason that this is regarded as something kind of special. Um, yeah, there's, there's something special to it. There's something that's not happening in every movie in this movie, and I, I really like it, man. Um, I think, yeah, there's a million funny movies. Why talk about how funny this movie is? Like this movie's important to me, you know. Like this yeah. movie, I can't think of a lot of movies as much as I love movies and as much as I watch them. Can't really think of a lot of them that really affected my thinking or my choices. And forgetting Sarah Marshall is helped me process breakups and helped me look at myself and i love the movie man and can i can i drop a bomb right now is it okay if i drop a bomb uh you were allowed to drop bombs yes did you notice this is my own original thought not something i heard on a cooler podcast than this uh sure did you notice that by the end of the movie you as an audience member forget sarah marshall No. You completely forget about her, and they give you, like, a mid credit scene to wrap up her story. But she's just, like, gone. You're not worried about it anymore. She just fucks off. Like, we just don't see her again. She's in the middle of peril, and our protagonist got over her, so we forgot Sarah Marshall. That's the title of the movie. Trying to forget her. Hell yeah. It's like Deus Ex Machina all over again. I guess. Or Deus Ex, I should say. Yeah. It's a movie. (sighs) And she goes on to live a happy life doing very similar projects with Jason Bateman. I always always forget, no matter how many times I see it, I'm always like, holy shit, that's right, Jason Bateman's in the the credit scene. That's so fucking cool. (laughs) I I loved him as much as I loved... uh, Billy Baldwin. God, he was great. He was uh, fantastic. Can you say Dixico? <laughs> <laughs> Looks like where he's going, he'll need to know how to masturbate. He's <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. Uh, I feel like we're kind of winding down. I feel like that's the case, yeah. I'm, we're both pretty tired guys. I am too. This, much, this much weekend punch... Where's the dude out? What can I say? <laughs> what's your uh, What's your favorite moment of compromise in this movie? <sighs> Character we didn't talk about enough. My favorite moment of compromise is Jack McBrayer's character getting head. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Speaks for itself. <laughs> God put our mouths on our heads for a Head reason. For a reason. <laughs> so good. Um, if God was a city planner, he wouldn't put a sewage system next to a playground. <laughs> that line means so much and so little all at once. Makes you imagine so much. <laughs> so, such a great line. Um, I'm going to go with... Uh, just for the scene that follows afterwards, Bill Hader uh, agreeing to go talk to girls with Jason Siegel. 
um, just just for the 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 faux ritzy bar scene that ensues after it. It's just <laughs> a fantastic scene. We don't go it's to great. places like this, Liz and I. <laughs> so great. Smells like strippers' perfume. <laughs> feel like i'm getting herpes just sitting on this couch <laughs> no he's he's great in this that's a great uh moment of compromise i love their relationship jason siegel and bill Hader. Mm-hmm. and i thought like the actress that played liz mm-hmm. bill Hader's was it girlfriend or fiance i don't know i, I can't fiance. remember but yeah she she's hilarious and like her and Bill Hader are really funny together. I want to see. And, I always wanted to see her kind of blow up. She has a she has a bit part on Community one time, but that's the only other place I've really seen her. I really like her. Yeah, yeah is so she was so funny and like <laughs> especially like with uh with Bill Hader. Like I feel like they they played off each other extremely well. Yeah, no, they were. I mean, they had, like, we've been together for so long and we do love each other a couple energy. You know, like... Mm-hmm. It was super endearing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so good. So good. And Bill Hader playing the square, which is a role he doesn't usually play. Um, mm-hmm. he, uh, except in, like, Barry, when he's not really a square, but kind of. Barry's so fucking good. Barry's um, incredible, yeah. Oh, dude. I'm, I'm such a Bill Hader fan. He's fantastic. He's really good in this movie. Um... What's your favorite line, Greg? Ooh. There's a lot, a, a lot, lot to a choose lot from. A lot of content. A lot of content. I do have a runner-up now. Uh, it is... Okay, so when we wanted to watch this movie originally, it was for TV car- or, uh, TV actors that you want to see more of in film. Yeah. Jack McBrayer is one of my favorite actors on 30 Rock. <coughs> And seeing him in this movie is just incredible. Uh, he had a million incredible lines. My favorite might be when we uh, first get introduced to him and he says to Mila Kunis as he's going off with his newlywed wife, Mahalo! <laughs> but my actual favorite line is from that same scene where sarah confronts peter about why he's in hawaii and peter says came here to murder you (laughs) so i actually i I love that you said that because i listened to jason siegel on you made it weird with pete holmes on Mm -hmm. your note of lightly edited improv um that's not the line that was written and jason siegel thought it was stupid um and like someone on set was like dude (laughs) please please try out i came here to murder you and eventually he was like oh my god i'll say it once for one take if you'll shut up and it ended up being one of like the biggest laughs in the movie no way it was like almost not there i did not know that because it was so perfect fucking funny perfect from the horse's mouth that's jason siegel telling the story it's only funny because he said it in such a way like he doesn't want to say it. Yeah, <laughs> he like didn't the character, the actor doesn't, the actor doesn't want to say it, and the character immediately regrets saying it. <laughs> like it's, it's felt, and it what's, it <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what makes it so funny. Yeah, he did it for one take, and it ended up being so good that that's what they kept. Oh my god, how could you keep that out? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, what's your what's your favorite line, dude? 
There's, there's <laughs> you had to pick one. I'm sorry. There's so many to pick from, but I'm going to go short, sweet, and simple. One that gets me every time. You sound like you're from London. <laughs> Makes me laugh so fucking hard. When he's like bleeding out and passing out and in need of like emergency medical care. <laughs> you sound like you're from London. So fucking funny. <laughs> Jason Siegel's character is already passed out. <laughs> like, yeah, yes. I am from London. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Paul Rudd is just such a little cutie in this movie. Just like yeah. constant shit eating grin the whole fucking movie. It's so great. Yeah, you're the guy that works for Kaiser Permanente. No, no. <laughs> we had a nice talk out on the ocean. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's oh, great, man. man. What's uh what's 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 the old uh what's the old critic or score? Man, I actually uh bumped it up a couple points. Nice. Uh I gave it a thirty four out of forty. Nice. Um I do think this movie I did rate it a little bit lower than the nice guys. I think this movie uh, does suffer from a little bit too much of the Apatow influence. Um, there's a couple of unfortunate moments of just like, yeah, these are just two actors riffing, not characters dialoguing. Mm-hmm. But it it's still like one of my higher rated films that we've talked about on this show. Yeah. Man. Like it's for like a straight up just... I'll call it a romantic comedy, whatever. Like, the term is dramedy. For for just a straight up dramedy, like I think this is as good as it gets, and uh, it's just so memorable. The actors are all incredible. The jokes are so well written. All the characters feel so fleshed out, mm-hmm. like, and the visual gags are also entertaining. Like yeah. I feel like there's a lot of visual. Um, jokes that we didn't really touch on here but i I, i'll give that a lot of credit so 34 out of 40 which is like an eight and a half out of ten uh pretty pretty high rating not too shabby especially for a comedy most definitely especially for a comedy that like doesn't really like innovate you know like like Mm -hmm. it's just really good at something that's been done a lot of times you know um but takes it to another level i guess it does innovate a little bit um but I think it's kind of the peak of, like, the 2000s Apatow crew. Basically, everyone from Freaks and Geeks running amok for a decade. Um, forgetting Sarah Marshall is the best thing to come out of that. Um, I'd agree. I gave what, it what's a, your uh, rating? Yeah, 45 out of 50. Um, you know, as if you're new to the show, uh, 45 is I'm putting you in the all-timer category. Uh, I don't think I have a dramedy rated any higher than this, so I guess I would say it's the best dramedy. Um, and I do judge films by genre. Uh, you know, it's it's not that it lacks anything, it's that it could have been bumped up. Like, I think, like, for this to get, like, a 47 to 50, it's like, okay, I think they could have done something a little more exciting with the cinematography. Um I think that they could have, again, the lightly edited improv, if you made it a little more deliberate what you were doing and maybe incorporated some more different styles of comedy other than saying funny things, maybe took it up a few more notches. 
Um, maybe take the emotional content a little bit deeper, maybe commit a little harder to that, and it could have bumped it up some more. But man, I think for what it is, it's functionally perfect. Um, even the things I said, those aren't really critiques. Those are just like, if you wanted to get a 50 out of 50 for me, that's what you would have had to do. But I do think this is like probably my favorite film in its genre and probably the best film in its genre. Um, and I feel pretty pretty confident in saying that. I'm a big fan of this movie, if that hasn't mm. already shown through. Oh, yeah. And being just endlessly rewatchable oh, is yeah. is hard to quantify. Yeah. Big time. Big time, brother, brother. Oh, Denny. Yeah, Greg. I'm, I'm extremely excited. Oh, you don't know. Well, first of all... Oh, we, shit, we almost forgot we our have fucking to, gimmick again. We have to pick the winner. Mm. This episode. What is the best movie for when you and your partner can't decide what to watch? You know, I expect you to disagree with me, and here's why. This is an episode where I think it makes no sense not to pick your own pick because it's so localized to you and your partner. So, mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm going to go with Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and I think I know what you'll pick. Dude, my girlfriend doesn't particularly love Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Mm -hmm. um, for the winner of the episode, even though I did rank the nice guys higher, and even though I did pick it, I do still have to go with Forgetting Sarah Marshall oh, just damn. because I, I do me. think I've got to broaden my thought process here to what I would think would win this episode for more people. Sure. What I think... Uh, more people would enjoy. Um, no hatred towards Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I think that would be... It's a good action flick that spawned a terrific action trilogy. The Nice Guys. A <laughs> endlessly funny movie mm -hmm. that could have been done a little bit better if it had been given a little more time and uh, a little more effort with uh, the narrative. Forgetting Sarah Marshall is, I think, a more universally digestible uh, dramedy that more people will be able to re relate to. Everybody's been dumped at some point, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I gotta pick it as the winner because I do personally love the movie a great deal. Then rock on. I was surprised. I thought you'd go with the nice guys. I mean, we do have to pick a winner, so I, I'm. it's not as much me conceding as it is like... We gotta pick one, so I think I think we'll go this way. I, I do think Forgetting Sarah Marshall is probably the most generalizable of the movies from this episode. And that's not just because mm -hmm. it's my pick. I've I've never met someone who's like, fuck this movie, and like most people I know have seen it and would be down to watch it. And versus yeah. like Rise of the Planet of the Apes and the Nice Guys are a little more niche. And that's, you know, mm -hmm. it's just a little more niche. That's all it is, right? If you love them, you love them, and I get why you love them. Yeah. I'm one of the people that loves one of them, so, yeah, like, more power to you, but, yeah. Rock on. Um, now on now, to the good shit. Now on to the great shit. Oh. We're not on good, we're on great. Dude, I think, I think some of the happy haunts are beginning to materialize, Greg. Happy haunts. Happy haunts materialize and pretend to terrorize. Grim grinning ghost come out to socialize. 
That's right, we're doing the Muppet Haunted Mansion and Disney Plus coming. Oh, wait, what were we doing? I already have a watch party planned for that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm booked. I'm booked on October 8th. <laughs> uh, we are starting a very long series, a six week series, something we were. I was thinking it was going to be like four episodes. October's a long month. It has a lot of Fridays. And I can't wait any longer, so we're going to start in September. <laughs> we're going to start <laughs> next Friday with our Halloween October <sighs> scary movie season. God, does it feel good. We've been teasing it since the podcast started. October was going to be a big month for us. So big that could it could not be contained within the month of October. Yeah. It spilled into September. Dude, you know what? Christmas is fucking starting in September these days. Why can't Halloween? That's right. Dude. Let's give it the proper real estate. Oh, dude. I, I fully plan, I don't know if I'll get all my decorations up this weekend, but I know Vanessa and I are definitely going to Spirit Halloween on Saturday. Um, and I told Greg, I was like, once the decorations are up, I only watch spooky movies. Like, I, I, I can't watch a normal movie in that house anymore. Like, it's, it That's just right. doesn't fit. It feels wrong. <laughs> That's why uh, next Friday, we're going to be kicking off Halloween with our first spooky episode, movies for when you want a self-aware scare. Ooh, spooky. I think it was our third episode where we did uh, self-aware movies, a little more meta, movies when you want to get all meta. Uh, we're going to do self-aware scare movies now. So uh, movies that are ooh, cognizant of their own devices. I like it. Yeah. Uh, next Friday, we've already got... <laughs> I gotta admit, there's gonna be very little audience participation for the selection of the movies for the next six weeks or so. I think we, we'll get a we, little in. I, th I think there's some that we can we can we can throw them a bone. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll do that later on, but not, not next Friday. Well, it's because there's one that just has to be there. One that, that has doesn't to be count there. as either of our picks. It's just you have to do it. My pick for next episode for movies for when you want a self-aware scare is Funny Games, the American version. Not the French version. All right. I've been told you... not to look into this at all. I have never heard of it outside of Greg. And I was told, don't watch a trailer. Don't look it up. Just go in. And I'm going to go in. Uh, that goes for you too, audience. Go in blind. Don't watch a trailer. Don't uh, read a plot summary. Just go into this American version of Funny Games blind if you haven't seen it or heard about it already. Very entertaining Oh, just, oh, what a uh, say no more, Denny. What's your pick for this for this next episode? I pick Scream. I love slashers, Hell yeah. and I am ready to just indulge in Wes Craven saying sorry for objectifying all those women all those years. <laughs> I love Scream. I'm I'm very hyped to watch it, and I'm even more hyped to talk about it. Hell yeah, man! Uh, a friend of the show, Brandon Harris, did. Uh mentioned to me that his his personal favorite horror series is scream and he oh, wanted man. us to talk about it well guess what man we love it too Boy, and then he's gonna pick it for the uh the first movie for the next episode Bada boom. and the movie that we have to do for this topic self-aware scare how can we not do cabin in the woods layup like mandatory 
you'd be an idiot to not to do this topic and not do cabin in the woods it's just the it's the magnum opus you know it's the magnum mm-hmm. opus i almost picked evil dead 2 for uh for mine and then i was like ah eh. first of all screams a little more self-aware second of all i think cabin in the woods is gonna hit those notes yeah uh we are basically picking the movie that would have won a poll so yeah like if you guys want to if you guys want to do like the american elections where we give you uh an artificial poll <laughs> a popularity contest <laughs> where there's not really a lot of choices um, whatever dumb shit wins the popular vote you can argue should have been president but we picked cabin in the woods because we all know it was the right choice oh, it, you just you just gotta that's not a statement by the way it's just it's the movie it's for movies movies talking about movies movies, movies. why for did win. i bring up politics i don't know <laughs> i always I just, do this shit man i'm gonna we're get, riffing i'm gonna get us canceled i don't i don't know enough about politics to get us canceled so i don't, don't care don't enough about politics energy canceling us i just say shit sometimes that's right <laughs> i don't deserve it i'm not i'm not important enough i'm just some dumb guy who says random shit <laughs> better than that Danny. i know i'm actually kind of smart that's right um, it's pretty great dude fuck politics fuck that shit it's fucking fucking ass spooky movie time man we're doing spooky movies next week hell yeah dude oh it's started i'm so ready i'm ready too man and i think i think the world's gonna be ready i think i think we gotta give the people what they want we gotta give them their spookies hell yeah i know the people are ready too uh well danny i've been i've been scrolling through disney plus netflix hulu i've i've been trying to find a catchphrase can you just pick one for me oh i've got the perfect one greg for greg work the leg work johnson i'm denny the talent taylor and this has been movies for when we already told you when pals forever pals forever pals forever that's our song that's our song new outro that's our new thing that's our new thing we We did did it we have this thing